Blog Talk Radio. Doing this thing all the way live. High Frequency Radio. Yeah, check it, man. Give me some of this, man. Hold her in due course. Give you a little bit of the meaning real quick. Check it. Over five years, man, it's illegal. It's a crown in the fee simple estate. Rule 17, I'm coming in as the G. Open the books up when they dusty. Got a 3% interest for my trustees. Held a meeting with the chance floor. Got a 9-8 for my son, the grand tour. Pushing all this paperwork, my hands sore. I don't make a contract with a landlord. Business on the private side, I'm farming. I don't go to court and entertain the argument I'm above the hypocrites and jargon Now the prosecutor trying to make a bargain Hoping I don't call upon the cavalry Cause we can go to the ocean and deal with amity While I'm making prayer with my shoes off Endorsing all these instruments to hold her in due course This is what you do if you living in New York DBA 130 hold her in due course in the temple, make a prayer with my shoes off. Rule 17, I'm gonna hold her in due course. This is what you do if you living in New York. DBA 130, hold her in due course. In the temple, make a prayer with my shoes off. Rule 17, I'm gonna hold her in due course.
the information station that's waking up the nation. High Frequency Radio Network. Sync up. Frequency Radio. I'm your host, Yusuf L. It is Wednesday, September 4th, 2019. I'm broadcasting live from Atlanta, Georgia. Got a real good show lined up for you. Earlier show. I'm gonna get into some discussions today. We're gonna talk about the holder in due course. <laughs> but I had a couple of announcements I gotta make. Yesterday I had some technical difficulties with the uh, webinar. If you're an SPC member, I reposted the link up. I just went back. I went back to my old format where y'all call in and talk to me. I was just, you know, just tired. I just went back to my old format. So when you sign into your back office, you'll see a link there tonight, and you just click on it. And I'm redoing that webinar tonight. So to sign in, you have access to that. Also, I just want to announce the relaunch of Currency Circulator for the SBC members also. Currency Circulator is working in conjunction with SBC University. You become an SBC University member, you're automatically put in the Currency Circulator. We've been working hard behind the scenes to get that, where you can actually get your money back. All right, give you an opportunity to get paid off SBC University. All right. And what else did I had? Um, yeah, there's going to be a uh, webinar this weekend with Jerry, the tax expert. You looking for that? That's about it. That's all I think I got right now. I ain't got for everybody right now. Well, today, though, today, 
we're going to talk about the holder in due course. I, I what I wanted to do is I wanted to uh piggyback off of the last show and add a couple of more things on top of, you know, what we were discussing, you know. Right now, I got to hold on, select me, select. I'm going to take a few calls first, though, before I get into this holder in due course. I see y'all already lining up in the... uh... And I'm going to go off of this. I'm going to, uh, this whole new course thing, how I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to use this banker's handbook to discuss it. And that's, you know, I'm kind of like the banker's handbook kind of narrate everything for me. Let's see. I'm putting this thing on YouTube real quick too, y'all. Just hold on for a second. I'm gonna get right with you. All right. So let's go to the phone lines real quick. I'm gonna take some calls first and then we're gonna get into this discussion a little bit. Let me go to the phone lines real quick. No, let me open the chat room. Hold on. The chat open. All right, let me go to the phone lines real quick. Five six seven seven six four six. Your mic peace, is peace, open. Yusuf. Peace, peace. What's peace. going on? What's going on? I'll be real quick. Um, can you help me get into my uh, my account? Remember from yesterday, I couldn't get the uh, password reset. You could still get the reason. Okay, hold on. Yeah, let me, let me do it. Let me do it for you real quick. Yeah, you might All want right. to just change it and email it to me or something, or however you want to do it. Yeah, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm I'm about to change it and email it to you right now. Uh, what is your um? What was your I-D-D-H-N. user ID again? Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Z H N I Z. All right, yeah, and I got you, Jimmy, right? Jimmy Rome? Yep. Yep. I got you. Let me get your email. All right, and the email is going to be coming from High Frequency Radio. So, uh, and you should be getting that in about two seconds. All right, I'll be looking for it. Concerning the... uh, any type of loan, pretty much, that um, you issue the instrument for and you want to see. I remember you talking about Gene Keating a while ago, whether you can request the accounting. I'm not sure if it's the, the, the 1099 OID where the lender reports to the IRS the source of the funds. 
And if you see that you are actually the source of the funds, whether it's on a mortgage or a yeah, car loan or whatever. Yeah, I have an idea to see who the, issuer and the, who the issuer and the recipient is. Right. Right yeah, now. That's on 1099 that OID. Said, okay, 1099 OID. When you, when you request that, and if you see that you are the original issuer, even though you issued an instrument and they became the holder in due course because you didn't lay a claim on it in the beginning, that um, I believe you all said a while ago that that would constitute fraud and you can go back and seek a remedy because of that if you see evidence that you are the original issuer and they actually did not loan you any money. Would that be correct? Well, you got up to three years to issue your claim on it on a on a uh, on a OID. You know, you got up to three years, but we're going to discuss it today. I'm going to let the bank officer's handbook explain it to you. You know, as okay. far as you know, time limits on things, uh, what constitutes fraud, um, whether or not you can recoup uh, something without a claim, uh, without a prior claim, and things like that. Because there are like real defenses and there are personal defenses to a holder in due course. All right. So you got like what, 10 real defenses to the, uh, uh, to the holder in due course. And let me, let me list those for you. Real and personal defenses of negotiable paper, uh, real defenses, payment of negotiable paper. Let's see what they are. Uh, forgery, bankruptcy, alteration, duress, mental incapacity, illegality, fraud in fact. Uh, those are some of the uh, real defenses. But you got forgery, bankruptcy, alteration, duress, mental incapacity, illegality, fraud in the exception, fraud in the inducement, mental incapacity, infancy, and illegality. All right? So then you okay. got personal defenses, too. So when you look at those, you know, real defenses apply against any holder, including a holder in due course. Common real defenses are as follows, and I just got to reading them. So you do have some defenses that, you know, go across the board. And forgery and fraud also, you know, those except there isn't any uh, statute of limitations on fraud. But, you know, they get into some examples of what all that is, too. You know, what, what an example is fraud in fact, fraud in the inducement. And things of that nature, you know. I don't know if I'm answering your question or not, but yeah, because you're talking about you, yeah. you brought you know you brought up fraud. So yeah, we about to discuss that this morning. I'm about to get into all of that this morning, right now, <laughs> right now with a holder new course. So sit back right. and listen. <laughs> and I sent you your right. password. I just, got your, I just I just got your email, and I'm attempting to log in right now with you on the phone. One second. All right. And then uh, I'll let you go. All right. Okay. I, I got kicked back to the WordPress for some reason. All right. Then hit that, hit that, hit that button that says you're not a, a thing. You're not a, you know, a little, and then uh, check, check the box you're not a and, robot. Then, and hit it. Yeah. You're not a robot. And then hit it. I hate that damn capture, but okay. All right. With my username and password in there, though, right? Right. Okay. 
Now that I, did you capitalize it? Because it looked like you did in the email. No, it just, I, I cut and paste exactly. Just cut and paste exactly how I sent it to you. Okay. It's exactly how I sent it to you because I cut and pasted it in there. Okay. All right, let me see. Log in. I'm in. Okay. All right, great. All right. I'm going to sit back and listen. Peace, God. Okay. All right. Okay. Thank you. All right, let me get back, y'all. All All right. Um, Let's talk about this holder in due course real quick before everybody starts jumping in. We talk about this holder in due course this morning, and I'm gonna be coming. If you look in the description of on the web on the uh, internet, you'll see a link to the bank officer's handbook. I actually put a link up there. So if you know if you're on the internet, you want to read along with me, you can. Okay, but this is very important for secured parties to understand what exactly is a holder in due course. And, you know, as he was just saying about, you know, defenses and things like that for, you know, against a holder in due course. So let's get into a little discussion and, and let's see if I can break this down to black speak, you know, in layman's terms so we can understand exactly what is a holder in due course. And I'm coming out of the banker's handbook and I'm coming out of section 16.01. If you go down to that, you will see holder in due course requirements. All right. Holder in due course, 16, 16-1, holder in due course. All right, so let's look at what the requirements are to be a holder in due course. And it says, now, under the Uniform Commercial Code, a holder in due course is a person who has acquired an interest in a negotiable instrument in a way that gives the person a special status like that of a bona fide purchaser of other property. The UCC gives a holder in due course many special rights including an ownership interest in the instrument that is free from the claims of other parties and the ability to enforce the liability of parties to the instrument free from many defenses. To become a holder in due course, a person must meet the formal requirements set forth in the UCC, Articles 3 and 4 contain an elaborate network. Oh, I'm sorry. Articles 3 and 4 contain an elaborate network of provisions that bear on who can become a holder in due course and what such a person must do in order to acquire such status. Although these provisions are in a part a codification of prior negotiable instruments law, they go beyond that law both in scope and detail, and they substantively change prior doctrine. Four requirements must be met in order to obtain the status of a holder in due course. Number one, the person must be a holder of a negotiable instrument. Number two, the person must take the instrument for value. I accept for value. Number three, the person must take the instrument in good faith. And number four, the person must take the instrument without notice that it is overdue or has been dishonored or that any person has any defense against or uh, or claim to it. All right. That's that last part is key. The person must take the instrument without notice that it is overdue or has been dishonored or that any person has any defense or claim to it. Okay. Those are key. Those are the four requirements for you to be a holder in due course. Now it goes on. It says, although a holder in due course enjoys special rights and privileges, 
Both federal and state law have dramatically cut back the availability of holder in due course rights and consumer credit transactions. All right. And that's uh, UCC 3-302. You now see the uh, discussion on Federal Trade Commission holder in due course rule and other meanings affecting holder in due course rights in for 16.06. That's later on down in this. Now, the holder requirements. Okay, what's required to be a holder? Not a holder in due course, a holder. The UCC requires a holder in due course to be a holder. To become a holder, the person must take the instrument by negotiation which means that the instrument must be properly delivered and transferred with any necessary endorsement, as discussed in Chapter 15. A person who is a transferee, a transferee is somebody who receives something, of an instrument and who meets the other requirements for being a holder in due course may become a holder by obtaining the missing endorsement on the instrument. Such a person does not become a holder uh, such a person does not become a holder and so cannot qualify as a holder in due course until the necessary endorsements are obtained. So in other words, if he re- if, if some if you give me a check and it don't have the endorsement on it and I can go find the person and get them to endorse it, I can become the holder in due course of that instrument. Then it says a person can be a holder in due course only by being in possession of a negotiable instrument, either directly or through an agent who is acting on behalf of the holder. If an instrument fails in any respect to meet the requirements for being a negotiable instrument, the transferee cannot claim status as a holder in due course. The requirements for negotiability are discussed in Chapter 14. If the instrument is not payable to order or to bearer, now that is key, because I had a, a judge say that one time, he said his instrument is not payable to order or to bearer. All right? I'll be putting, I'll be putting that on my instruments both, on payable to order or to bearer. <laughs> I put that on, on, on all my instruments. The UCC is clear that there can be no holder in due course of such an instrument. Okay, if, it, if it's not payable to order or to bearer, the UCC is clear that there can be no holder in due course of such an instrument. Because of the requirement that now, I want you all to think about the promissory notes, how they stand paid to the order of on them after y'all, uh, uh, after y'all give them to them. I don't know if y'all are aware of that or not. Because of the requirement that an instrument be negotiable, a common defense to a claim by a purported holder in due course is to attack the instrument as not meeting the formal requirements for negotiability. All right? The transferee of a negotiable instrument acquires the rights of the transferor through a shelter principle that permits the transferor to pass on the rights the transferor enjoyed. The transferee thus steps into the shoes of the transferor and receives whatever rights the transferor possesses but the transferee acquires no greater status or rights than the transferor had. All right, so it's not, if whatever rights I had in the instrument, I can pass them on to you. I'm the transferor. The person receiving it would be the transferee. All right, so number two, taking without notice of defects or defenses. And that's what I like about this thing because it goes through each of the individual requirements and discusses them. Now, this is when you're taking it without notice of defects or defenses. The UCC requires that a holder in due course be an innocent purchaser, unaware of troubles in the transaction or in the instrument for which it was given. Remember, this is all equitable. You got to take things in good faith with clean hands. The key section states that the holder must take the instrument without notice that it is overdue or has been dishonored or of any defense or claim to it on the part of any person. 
Under this provision, there are four types of problems of which the holder must have no notice at the time of taking the instrument. The holder must have no notice that, one, the instrument is overdue, two, the instrument has been dishonored, three, someone is obligated on the instrument and has a defense to the liability on the instrument, and number four, some person claims an uh, interest in the instrument. All right, and there we go again about that claim. All right, you got to know that can't have no notice of claim to the instrument. The first two situations do not present many difficulties. What constitutes dishonor is discussed in Chapter 21, and ordinarily there will be no great difficulty in asserting that an instrument has been dishonored or when the person receives notice of such fact. Under this requirement, one who takes a check, knowing it has been refused payment for insufficient funds, for example, cannot be a holder in due course. Likewise, when a time draft has been presented for acceptance and the drawee has refused acceptance, a subsequent holder with notice of such refusal would have notice of dishonor and could not qualify as a holder in due course. The UCC itself contains several rules to help determine when an instrument is overdue. It provides that a purchaser has notice that an instrument is overdue if the purchaser has reason to know any of the following. A, that any part of the principal amount is overdue or that there is an uncured default in payment of another instrument of the same series or B, that acceleration of the instrument has been made or three, that's like in a foreclosure when they do an acceleration on you or C, that he has taken a demand instrument after demand has been made or made that, uh, uh, or more than a reasonable length of time after its issue. A reasonable length for a check drawn and payable within the states and territories of the United States and the District of Columbia is presumed to be 30 days. And they even give you the days right there. Okay. All right. And they got, okay, and they got, uh, what constitutes on the uniform negotiable length? A reasonable time. And the choice of the reason, though, is significant. This thing, okay, I'm going to. I'm looking in the footage right there. If I want to read something in there. Okay, it is important to note that although an instrument may be overdue, a holder will not be precluded from becoming a holder in due course if the holder took the instrument without notice that it was overdue. The UCC policy with respect to checks is significant. If the holder takes a check more than 30 days after its date of issue, it is presumed that the check is overdue. Ordinarily, since the check will be dated, there will be notice from the face of the instrument to the holder, and the holder will not be able to qualify as a holder in due course. Anodating or postdating an instrument by itself does not make an instrument overdue. The fact that an instrument is anodated or postdated does not give notice to the purchaser that a defense or claim to the instrument exists. Most of the difficulties arise in connection with the requirement that the holder take without notice of a claim or defense. Before considering what will amount to a notice of a claim or defense, attention should be given to the definition of notice in the UCC, which is carefully and deliberately drawn. Definition of notice. I think this UCC 1-202 has it. uh, uh, definitions of notice. There are different possibilities. There are different possible, and this is important, definition of notice. Because, you know, yesterday we were talking about the commercial chamber and that not being the only place to give notice. So, Let's look and see what what constitutes giving notice. There are different possible qualities of notice, and the legal system is not always consistent in how it uses the term. At one extreme, notice can mean actual knowledge that a fact exists. At another extreme, notice can mean facts or circumstances that could be discovered 
by a search by a diligent party in official records, like doing a UCC search. This latter type of notice is sometimes referred as a constructive notice. The UCC holder in due course provisions take an intermediate view. Actual knowledge of the existence of a defense or claim to the instrument disables a person from being a holder in due course under the UCC. But the provisions go further, defining notice as including something that exists when a person has received a notice or notification of it, or when a person from all the facts and circumstances known to him at the time in question has reason to know that it exists. Thus, a reason to know standard is appropriate in deciding whether a person has taken an instrument with notice of a defense or claim. The UCC does not go so far as to say that constructive notice from official records is sufficient to give notice to a holder in due course. What constitutes notice of a claim or defense? All right, here we go. Sometimes the appearance of the instrument itself is so irregular that a taker would be placed on notice that something may be wrong. Thus, there is notice of claim or defense if the instrument is so incomplete, bears such visible evidence of forgery or alteration, or is otherwise so irregular as to call into question its validity, terms, or ownership, or to create an ambiguity as to the party to pay. In addition, the purchaser will have notice of a claim or defense when the purchaser has noticed that the obligation of any party is voidable in whole or in part, or that all parties have been discharged. Under this rule, if the taker knows that one party, such as an endorser, has been discharged, that knowledge will not preclude the taker from becoming a holder in due course. If the taker knows that all parties have been discharged, as in the case where the instrument had previously been paid, the taker cannot be a holder in due course. One situation that has created difficulties involves instruments issued or negotiated by fiduciaries. The UCC draws a distinction between notice that a fiduciary has negotiated an instrument for personal benefit or otherwise in breach of duty and notice only that the person negotiating the instrument is or was a fiduciary. Knowing that the person is a fiduciary is not noticed that the fiduciary has breached his or her obligations to the beneficiary because the holder is entitled to assume the fiduciary is acting properly. To assist in determining when uh, there is notice of a claim or defense, The UCC specifies that certain circumstances do not by themselves give the purchaser of an instrument notice of a defense or claim. Four, knowledge of the following facts does not of itself give the purchaser notice of a defense or claim. A, the instrument is antedated or postdated. B, that it was issued and negotiated in return for an executory promise or accompanied by a separate agreement unless the purchaser has noticed that a defense or claim has arisen from the terms thereof. C, that any party has signed for accommodate that any party has signed for accommodation. D, that an incomplete instrument has been completed unless the purchaser has notice of any improper completion. E, that any person negotiating the instrument is or was a fiduciary. F, that there, were, uh, that there has been a default in payment of interest on the instrument or in payment of any other instrument except one of the same series. Five, the filing of a the, now check this out. The filing or recording of a document does not of itself constitute notice within the provisions of this article to a person who would otherwise be a holder in due course. So just because you filed your UCC-1 doesn't constitute notice in and of itself. You need to send him a copy of it, certified mail. This is why you see in our secured party um, process, you have your a copy of your UCC-1 going to the Treasury Department because you got to give these people notice. Just filing it in itself doesn't constitute notice. 
for the notice to be effective to prevent a taker from being a holder in due course, then this is key, this is key, it must be received at such time and in such manner as to give a reasonable opportunity to act on it. When a purchaser acquires an instrument and meets all the requirements for being a holder in due course at the time the instrument is required, later notice of facts that would constitute notice of a defense or claim will not prevent the purchaser from being a holder in due course. Now, that is the key uh, paragraph that I was looking for that I read. This is on page 16-7, right there under 5. It is telling you that you cannot give notice after the fact. So let me read it again. For the notice to be effective to prevent a taker from being a holder in due course, it must be received at such time and in such manner as to give a reasonable opportunity to act on it. When a purchaser acquires an instrument and meets all the requirements for being a holder in due course at the time the instrument is acquired, later notice of facts that would constitute notice of a defense or claim will not prevent the purchaser from being a holder in due course. There is an ambiguity when a purchaser takes possession of an instrument in good faith and without notice, but later has notice of a claim or defense before giving all the value that was agreed upon for the purchase of the instrument. If is this notice too late because it has come after the purchaser has taken the instrument, the UCC's policy on value indicates that one becomes a holder in due course only to the extent that the agreed consideration has been performed. This policy suggests that the holder has who has notice after taking the instrument, but before all value is given before holder in due course only to the extent that the value is given prior to the notice. But the question is not clearly answered by the UCC. All right, so now we're talking about to the extent of the agreement, how much, how many rights do you have in the instrument? But we don't even want to even go into all of that. All we need to know is that uh, that you have to give prior notice that you have a claim or defense on this instrument. This is what we are concerned with. And that's why I wanted to read this to you. Another reason why I wanted to read it is to say that you have read it. Because, you know, people... People, you know, they ask questions and things. You tell them to read something, they ain't read it. They'll read it to you. You have to listen to it over the Internet. And I go through the whole thing. You can actually say that you read it. So I'm sitting here reading it for you because this is what you have to do to learn how to play this game, learn the rules of the game, because a lot of people be complaining because somebody took their instrument and didn't give it back. Okay, well, if you understand the rules of commerce and how negotiable instruments work, that's like giving somebody a $20 bill. I ain't got to give it back to you. Damn sure I ain't got to give you that same $20 bill back. All right? You gave me that $20 bill. You don't have no claim on it. When I, when I become the taker of it as the transfer E of it, I don't have no notice to claim that you have some interest in it. Okay, I become the holder in due course of it. You know? So it's the same thing just because you write up a promissory note and sign your name on it. Hell, there's a there's there's two signatures on those all those uh, Federal Reserve notes that you have. Your signature doesn't constitute that you have that you're a holder in due course. Your notice of your interests or claim to the instrument is what makes you a holder in due course. Oh, people are following me and ain't I ain't losing nobody. Hope I'm not losing nobody. What I'm talking about right now. All right, so let's keep going. Knowledge that the person given a check has a bad financial record, has overdrawn the account, or might otherwise generally be considered a bad risk does not in itself preclude the person taking the check from being a holder in due course. 
Similarly, no notice of a claim or defense has been found when a bank takes for deposit a check from a payee depositor and permits withdrawal of credit before the check is collected, even though the depositor's account balance is low or has been previously overdrawn, or even when the bank knows that its depositor is experiencing financial problems and has overdrawn the account. Circumstances that are grounds for suspicion and conjecture only are not enough, as was held in a case in which a purchaser of a traveler's check acquired them outside the normal commercial market at a different price than would be customary. All right, so knowledge that the person given a check had a bad financial record, uh, that don't constitute necessarily a notice of claim either. When a transferee of a negotiable instrument has notice of a defense to the instrument before taking it, usually will be a question of fact for a jury to decide. And I read that in a, um, um, in a uh, uh, um, what was that? I was in the law library, and uh, these, these set of books, they go hand in hand with American jurisprudence. But in there, so in the negotiable instrument section, it was saying that a protest certificate from a notary um, can only be, uh, uh, it had to take a jury trial to take it out. Okay, and that's, you know, that's a notice. That's a notice. So you're right here. He's, and they they co-signing that same thing right here. Whether a transferee of a negotiable instrument has notice of a defense to the instrument before taking it usually will be a question of fact for a jury to decide and for a judge to decide. All right? It's not for a judge to decide. In First National State Bank versus Reliance Electric Company, the court upheld a jury finding that a bank took a, an assignment of an equipment lease from its borrower would notice that the bar had not delivered the equipment to the leasee. Because the lease contained a waiver of defense clause, the bank claimed to have had a status equivalent to that of a hold in due course. And upholding the jury's finding, the court precluded the bank from being in the position of a hold in due course because the bank knew from its past dealings with the borrower that the bar was in financial difficulty and was following a practice of borrowing against equipment leases for undelivered equipment. Now, I also want to bring y'all attention to clerk's practice. You're going to find in there what an absconding debtor is, like somebody who's a flight risk in the court system. And it, it goes into this. When they have a previous knowledge that you have financial difficulty, that's why I was saying usually they have your credit report up there. They have all the information that they need about you, and they can make a determination on whether or not you're a flight risk. They things you ain't seeing and everything because it's an admiralty court and it's a debt collection. They're looking at your finance, your, your financials, and that's what constitutes a flight risk. And I learned that from clerk's practice. I was shocked. What is an absconding debtor? What is a flight risk in admiralty? Someone who gambles, someone who has bad credit, someone.
Okay. Sorry about that, y'all. I don't know what's going on with 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 blog talk, but it just cut me off just in the middle of something. This is just crazy. All right. Can everybody hear me? I'm gonna go back to the phone lines. I not, and I don't know exactly when I cut off and everything. When everything got cut off, the voice, the sound got cut off. All right, we'll go back to the phone lines. Five six seven seven six four six. You're on the line. Peace, Yusuf. You you already took me earlier. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Well, y'all All can right. tell I'm y'all can tell I'm rusty like. I'm rusty like crazy, boy. <laughs> I'm rusty, y'all. <laughs> Let me do it. 731-3488. 731-3488. Peace, peace, peace. Peace, what's going on? Man, I'm doing great, doing wonderful. How about yourself, sir? All right, all right. Did you hear when I got cut off? When I, I got did. cut off? Where, 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 was, I, was, where about- was I at? It was about seven minutes ago. Well, about seven minutes. All right, dang. All right, y'all might miss some stuff. I was talking. Did y'all hear what about the notice requirements? You know, what constitutes notice? Yeah, we got right, there, Paul. All right, okay. All right, okay. All right, you got a question? Go ahead. I do. I do. I got a. I got a quick question about. It's kind of on the same subject, but uh, uh, master degrees and secured knowledge. I feel like the more the, the higher you go up with a degree, the more you quote unquote kind of learn this knowledge by indoctrination. Okay. What I'm so now, well, I'm, wait, like, for example, my, yeah, you, you say the more you go up in a degree. What, what do you mean? What, what do you mean? You say degree like a college degree? Correct. Correct. Because there's certain things I noticed I mean, about my. Uh, my my daughter's social security card and versus my social security card and uh the knowledge that my daughter's mother has uh, before I even knew anything about this stuff and I mean she acts she acts really really you know nonchalant about it like she don't know but it seems like she she has a lot more knowledge and I was just wondering if you could touch on that as well like um like Do doctor they, I mean and, well. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, a lot of people who um, are in this uh, that go higher up, like especially like the CEOs and uh, things like that, they have this knowledge about it. And a lot of the bankers, you know, of course, have it. Um, the vice president, like a lot of people who know what's going on inside the institutions, it goes high, as high as up as I don't even think the vice president knows. But, uh, you know, the, the presidents of the banks, the C, uh, CEOs, CFOs, they all have the knowledge, and you know, I guess that they would have. Um, then I, I would think also that it's only taught in certain schools. Um, you know, like the school Trump went to. I forgot what the name of that school is, but there are. But you know, there are. You know, there. I'm sure it's not taught everywhere. But you saying the higher up you go in degree, the more of this knowledge that you have. It's, I it mean, it's available like, okay, to everybody. My my. Okay, we were okay. I noticed a lot of people have a little bit of pushback when they tell them they don't want to get vaccinated, get their babies vaccinated, or what have you. Like we had none. It was it was almost like just cut and dry. Oh, she just said religious purposes, and they left it alone. She passed them a letter. I don't know what was in the letter, and that was it. 
That was it. The, the next time I heard anything about the shot for my daughter was probably around her second or third doctor visit, you know, after she had came home from the hospital, been home for a few weeks or whatever, and they were like, well, why y'all don't want to give her? And I was like, nah, nah, I was against my religious beliefs, and they left it alone, but I, I can tell that she had already put forth some type of correspondence with these people. And it was like, yeah. and it just, and it was more to it than just that. Cause I mean, I hear people saying that I use religious beliefs and they still act like they won't let me out the hospital, you know? Well, I'm going to tell you like this. It's like this guy, um, he told me, uh, when I first uh, learned all of this, he said, okay, there are people, there are groups of people who know this information. They live in communities. They own a lot of land. And he said when their children are born, they have somebody in Washington, D.C., and they file paperwork at seven different agencies. I never forgot that. He was like, he said, like, these people, they have their, um, when their baby is in the hospital, they got somebody in Washington, D.C. right there. And as soon as they get the call that the baby is born, they start filing the paperwork in D.C., something to that effect. Now I, now, I will tell you from my experience that when you, usually most people are dealing with the, the peons, you know, you're dealing with the underlings and things like the nurse, like you're in the hospital, you ain't talking to the doctor, you're talking to the nurses. You know what I'm saying? Oh, no, the they doctor want, came in. This was, this was the doctor for me. I can't speak on everybody else, but for me and my child, my baby, was the doctor. Yeah, usually I asked for the doctor. The doctor didn't come in for me, but the thing is, is that still, you know, the higher ups, like the administrator of the hospital, you know, I'm talking about higher ups like that, you know, that or right. the governor or the person who's the director of uh, of the health board of CDC or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Those are the people <clears throat> that you correspond with and you let you let you let you know the Department of Health and Human Services or whatever with the federal government. You know, these are the people that you let know, you know, what's going on, because. Everything coming from the government is a benefit and a privilege. And you cannot be required to take a benefit and a privilege. That's the only thing they can tax are benefits and privileges. You can't make me take a benefit and privilege from you. You know, I got rights. What my rights are. They get all they do their only duty is to protect your borders, protect your property, and protect your liberty. That's it. That's mm-hmm. it. And you know, if you know when you go outside of that. And this is what the senator said. I'm going to read what the, 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 y'all remember. I read this to you with a senator. He he made a statement. I'm going to read this to you again. Listen to these senators in 1932, right before right when they were getting ready to drop all of this, they made up. They made some statements. I'm going to see if I can pull it up real quick and let y'all see what I'm talking about. And it is right. Let's see. Uh, well, they post so much stuff in here. Yeah, here it is right here. All right. This is coming from the Congressional Record. It's the Congressional Record, Volume 75, Part 11, pages 11,703 to 12,738. And you're going to see the senator down here. He, listen to what he says. All right. He says, <laughs> And this is Senator Walcott, uh, or no, Senator Logan. I think this is Senator Logan talking right now. 
He said, natural laws cannot be created, repealed, or modified by legislation. Congress should know that there are many things which it cannot do. It cannot legislate prosperity into the nation. About all that it can do is to regulate the relationships of the people, the one toward another, under rules that are fair, and allow them to work out their own salvation. It is now purposed to make the federal government the guardian of its citizens. If that should be done, the nation soon must perish. There can only be a free nation when the people themselves are free and administer the government, which they have set up to protect their rights. Where the general government must provide work and incidentally food and clothing for its citizens, freedom and individuality will be destroyed and eventually the citizens will become serfs to the general government. They are no longer free and they no longer support the government when they look to the government to support them. The government then becomes an absolutism. It can support its citizens only by going into private business for profit, with the resulting destruction of all private profits. The general government has fallen into hard times. Its citizens cannot support it easily, so it is purposed to revert, uh, reverse laws formerly thought to be sound and to go into the business of supporting citizens apparently with little understanding that the government is but a collection of all the people. If the people, therefore, at the time cannot support the government, how can it be reasonably said that the government can support the people? So that, now, if they all understood, it's like, what you talking about? Y'all are, are the people. How are we electing people, and they're going up there on Capitol Hill, and they're going into private business for profit and turn around and enslaving the very people that then voted them in office? Right. It's crazy. Right. And these people understood that. They understood that. They understood that back then. They understood that back then. So, you know, so I got like, one more. Go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was no, go ahead. I got one more question, but go ahead. Okay. Uh, I was watching Django the other day. Uh, I think it was Saturday or Sunday, something like that. And I was noticing the uh, the lawyer. And how they did, they promissory, well, they wasn't a promissory note, but how they wrote out the receipt. And how the notary was, the, the notary, the lawyer was only there to serve, to make sure everything was done properly. And, you know, but, I mean, you can, I mean, I, I tried to screenshot it. I couldn't get the screenshot of it, but it's a real good, you know, uh, uh, visualization of what, what you're teaching right there in that movie. I mean, it's like, like set. Right there in stone with two signatures. I mean, the whole nine. And Schultz never moved without that receipt. He always got a receipt for all for everything that he did. Have you noticed that everybody asks you, you want your receipt now? Yes. Yes. That just started. Yes. That just started about, <laughs> I say, within the last five years or so. That people just, everywhere I go now, they ask, do you want your receipt? What the fuck would I not want my receipt? Yeah. Yeah. I got plenty more paper I can keep too. It ain't no big deal. I'd rather have it and not know what to do with it than let you have it. I'm gonna be honest. That's just how I am. But I appreciate it, man. Peace to the gods. That's that, that was my two questions. All right. All right, peace, peace, Thanks, peace. Sir, man. All right. Peace. All right, let me go back to the phone lines. Before I do, let me take a quick break. I gotta take a quick break real quick. 
about five minutes. When I come back, we're going to go back to the phone lines. We're going to continue discussing this holder in due course. You're listening to the hottest radio network on the planet, High Frequency Radio. I'll be back after these messages. You're you're listening to Yusuf L. On the baddest radio network on the planet. High Frequency Radio. Yeah, check it, man. Give me some of this, man. Hold her in due course. Give me a little bit of the meaning real quick. Check it. Holder in due course 
in the temple, making prayer with my shoes off. Rule 17, I'm the holder in due course. You know, y'all, the more I listen to that song, the more I'm amazed at the lyrical dexterity of, of of that artist. You know, it's like, wow, you know, somebody was actually listening to me and put it in a song. <laughs> put everything in the song. Amazing. Anyway, let me go back to the phone line, 717-4364. You're on the line. How you doing, Yusuf? Hey, what's going on? Not much. Uh, I had a quick question um, regarding kind of what you were talking about yesterday as well as the holder in due course. So you have to be a yeah. holder anytime you issue any kind of instrument. Um, is A for V, that's technically a negotiable instrument, correct? Well, I mean, that's what I said. One of the things is you have to take it for value. All right? So that's why we say we're accepting it for value. You know, you, that's one of the things becoming a holder in due course. That's to be taken for value. It's one right. of the four so rules. Is if you accept a presentment, do you also have to include an instrument, or does that that presentment that you accepted for value become the instrument? If it has all the qualifications on it that make it make it into a negotiable instrument, like you know, this is the reason I feel like they don't want you to get your original indictment. But when you get the indictment, they give you a copy. Then you go in and start asking them for the matrix, which is the original. Um, they they start looking all funny and everything. It's like, okay, well, give me the give me because the, because then if they hand it to you, they've just in court transferred it to you. You become the transferee of that. And if you endorse, and if it hasn't had an endorsement, and you obtain the endorsement, then you become the older new course of it. You know. These are, you know, you know what I'm saying? So you got to kind of study like negotiable instruments law. And like, for instance, the United Nations Conference on International uh, Bills of, uh, of Exchange and Promissory Notes. When you read the first seven articles, it tells you what needs to be present on a bill of exchange or an international promissory note for it to be under the Unicentral Convention. All right. So it has to have those elements. Like, you know. And that's how those elements uh, contained on it. Now you can convert something like people be converting um, things uh, into money order, like vouchers into money orders and changing that, making those negotiable instruments. Right. So if you do that, you want to have a claim on that. Yeah. yeah. Money order that you, that you did. Here, here, here's my thing. Here's my thing while I'm reading this to y'all. You know, I first got into this. There's a lot of people that are complaining about losing their instruments or they took my instrument, didn't send it back. That was like a big thing. They took my instrument, didn't send it back. Took my instrument, didn't send it back. I took my instrument, ignored it. And, you know, you got to understand it. Okay, I came to really come to realize that, okay, if you don't know the rules of commerce, they can't. The first time this was brought to my attention is I was at a Mercedes-Benz dealership with the owner of the dealership. I had sent him a bill of exchange on an automobile. It was like a, um, it was like a S65 AMG. It was about a $170,000 car because I had all the bills and wheels on fully loaded and ordered all, everything I could order on it. And so, you know, I called him up 
And I said, they, they called me on the phone and told me we can't take this type of instrument. And I said, well, send it. I said, well, send it back to me. I said, send it back to me. And um, they said, she kind of paused on the phone and she said, okay. And she never sent it back. I said, send my, send my instrument back then. So I went to, um, I had a friend who knew the owner. I got into a meeting with the owner. And I went to go meet him. You know, when I went into the meeting, I said, look, man, you need to give my car, my instrument back. And he said, I don't have to give you your instrument back. I said, you don't have to give it back to me. What do you mean you don't have to give it back? And then that's when I, that's when I came to understand and realize, okay, you don't have a claim on it. You don't have a claim on it. You don't have a claim on it. You got to have a claim, man. You got to have a claim. So, you know, so that that's, you know, it's written out plain as day. But, I mean, are you asking to have a claim on any instrument? I mean, you got to, it has, it has to be a negotiable instrument. You know, if, if you made it up or whatever, converted something over or something like that, does it fit the description of a negotiable instrument? That's all, that's all I'm going to say on that, you know. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, that's what I'm asking. I, I know you have to have one on a, on a, a bill of exchange, but I wasn't sure. I've never heard of anybody saying that you had to do it for like a presentment that you accept for value and send back to. If it's a negotiable instrument. If it's a negotiable instrument. Yeah, once you do the the banker's acceptance, that that turns it into a negotiable instrument because that's all the qualifications that it needs. They go and behind the scenes, aren't they doing like um? You know, bank. All right, we already see that they could they converting this into municipal bonds and all kind of stuff. There has to be some sort of everything is about debt. Negotiable instruments is dealing with credit, debt, and so forth. And that's what this whole system is based off of. I can't even really understand how anybody would even doubt that, especially when dealing with the court system. When you got the court registry investment system, when you start studying that, and you can begin to get a clear picture of what they're doing with all these presentments. You know, because that's all they are. They're presentments. A traffic ticket is a presentment. An indictment is a presentment. Right. When you look these words up, okay, they all have multiple definitions. Like you'll get the general definition, and then about three uh, senses down, you'll get a commercial definition of the same word. And you can see how they can easily confuse you. That is why you always ask a question, answer a question with a question, because you don't really know what they mean when they say charge. You don't really know what they mean when they say presentment. Are you talking about a grand jury and, uh, presentment? Well, grand jury presentment, that would be under the common law. Well, we know these courts ain't operating under the common law, so it must be one of these other definitions, like this commercial definition of presentment. You see what I'm saying? You know, once you understand the system and everything, look at these. Um, the best thing that you can ever do is read them Black Thought dictionaries and start paying attention to the multiple senses of the word for each of the definitions and how they have like a common law explanation and then they'll have a commercial explanation of the same word. Of the same word And you know you can see the trick and, and the trick is In my opinion Is that if you don't ask They're not going to tell But they put out You know they'll just say something You know you got to charge But you never say well Yana Hold on Yana What do you mean by charge Are you call, Is this a lien that's being placed on my property 
or you know, uh, you know, you, you don't never qualify anything that they say. You just assume that you understand and you know what they're talking about. That's what that's that's a big part of the problem and everything is everybody always assuming that they think they know what they're saying and everything. You don't have no they speaking Chinese and you speaking something else. But you think you understand what they're saying and you don't. That is a major problem. That's a major problem. And, uh, and, and that has to be addressed in order to understand the commercial nature of the system. Because the only way you're going to understand the commercial nature of the system is you have to ask questions. You have to ask these people questions. They come over and ask us questions. Show me proof of Somebody wrote on, on my thing, you know, somebody show me proof of this. I'm, like, Nigga, wait, I'm showing, sign an affidavit saying this is not, this not true. Start putting demands on them. Stop calling in and asking me questions. Start putting some up. Uh, start putting some fire to their ass. Well, now nah, this is not really what this is talking about. Well, can I get somebody there to sign an affidavit attesting to that under penalty of perjury with full commercial liability? Will you be willing to do that? You gotta understand the game. They they lie all the motherfucking time because they understand the game. It's about it, they they can lie to Goyen. Get them to sign an affidavit. They don't. They don't attest to anything under penalty of perjury. I've been doing this 15 years. I've been fucking with the banks. I've been trying to get the motherfucking banks to come into the uh, court and testify for the longest. They will never come in court. And they, if they do, they're not taking the stand. They're not taking the stand on anything. The clear. The uh, what was that? The river uh, credit river decision was the last time. Uh, uh, they got some bankers to come in and testify. You see what happened in the Credit River decision. And they learned from that. Ain't, ain't been another bank representative come in court and took the stand since. So if I can't get them to sign some sort of affidavit, take some sort of deposition, they ain't going to do none of that. But they will talk shit all day long. That's what I don't like. And that's what fr- frustrates me with my people because they can't seem to see that. It's like, y'all don't understand the game? They can lie to you? They are, they can lie to you. There's no law against lying. It's something against committing, committing perjury. To get them to commit perjury. Lie to you all day to your face and say things all day. Behind fake profiles. Like cowards and punks. Thinking that they can deceive, uh, you know, a population that they think has been dumbed down to a point where they won't be able. You know. But, hey, it is what it is. That's all I'm saying. Get them to get them to sign the affidavit. I don't know. Y'all keep calling us, asking us for you know proof on shit. Get them, get them to prove that they're telling the truth, and see if I'm lying. Get them to prove they're telling the truth. Ask them the question. Sign the affidavit. I know what you're saying. Sign the affidavit. Tell me that this is. Tell me the truth. Is this an Article One or Article Three court? Sign something under penalty of perjury, full commercial liability, attesting to the fact that all your statements that you're make, making are true.
Anyway, you got any other questions? I got to go uh, to the no, next caller. Yep, thank All you. Right, thank you. All right. Phone line is open, 424-222-5250. This is my thing. You know, people calling and asking me questions. It's like, okay, well, you know, if you think, if you think that I'm lying or something is like I'm misinforming the people, then go to these people and ask them to sign an affidavit. That's what, you know where I got that from? I got that from Tom Shaw and them CPAs and everything. Somebody said I got an echo. They was they was in sending them out them uh those uh affidavits them CEOs them people you know it's like well we'll just sign this CEO you know we need some sort of verification that you're telling the truth. Okay. I'm I'm trying to listen to myself on the show right now. Okay. Yeah. I right, well I mean I don't see I don't really hear no echo or anything like that. I hear echo, y'all still hear echo? I hear echo still in the chat room. You know, give me some feedback in the chat room. But there's this document y'all could get. It is called it is called the Banker's Secret Manual. All right, in there, in the Banker's Secret Manual, they got that holder in due course provision, too. And the Banker's is the top secret banker's manual. I'm going to read some stuff out of here. It's real good, too. It's real good. And top secret banker's manual, you go in the back, they got these letters that you sent out to these people, right? And, it, uh, this, uh, and I want y'all to listen to this. It sounds so good. How well this stuff was written. Okay, here's one. It's notice of holder in due course status. From I've been robbed here and after borrower to XYZ credit company here and after alleged lender. Okay, notice the principal is notice the agent. Notice the agent is notice the principal. Notice that we always have all these things that I just got through reading out the banker's handbook that you got to have in here. I, I've been robbed hereby give notice that the bank is not a holder in due course of a promissory note with the name of I've been robbed on it. This is in regards to the alleged loan number, blah, 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 blah. Previous notices to XYZ credit card company. Previous notices to XYZ credit card company for adequate assurance of due performance has not been properly and legally responded to. Previous notices requesting specific terms and conditions regarding if the promissory note was used to fund the bank loan check have gone unanswered. Also unanswered are previous notices requesting if the terms and conditions of the alleged loan agreement intended to have the economic stimulus to stealing the promissory note, depositing the promissory note, using the promissory note as or like money, or as a substitute for money that was used to fund a check or similar instrument that was returned to the borrower as a loan. Requests to know if GAAP, generally accepted accounting principles, were followed. Have gone all have also gone gone unanswered. They don't ever answer the question. 
I am of the belief that the XYZ credit card company has intentionally attempted to conceal the true terms and conditions of the alleged loan, and the borrower had no opportunity to obtain the knowledge of the true terms that are similar to stealing, counterfeiting, and swindling. The original original alleged lender and financial institution involved in the alleged loan never paid one cent to obtain the promissory note and thereby violated federal laws regarding generally accepted accounting principles, GAAP. I now believe that I have the evidence that the terms and conditions of the alleged agreement are concealed, the promissory note was stolen, forged, and or altered, no good title can pass with a theft, there was a no meeting of minds or mutual assent regarding these questions, and you have refused to explain the terms and conditions by answering these questions, therefore there is no valid agreement. The alleged lender and financial institution is not a holder in due course for the following reasons. The alleged lender and financial institution knows or should have known the standard bookkeeping entries called GAP and the money trail bookkeeping entries show that the opposite happened compared to what the alleged agreement said was to happen. One of the requirements of a negotiable instrument is that the instrument must be payable for a fixed amount of money. My question is, for, uh, from your viewpoint, according to your understanding of the agreement, is money deposited is money deposited recorded as a bank asset or as a bank liability. Please list all the forms of money or negotiable instruments you and the alleged lender and financial institution you are involved in issuing the alleged loan use as or like or as a substitute as money or credit used to fund checks or bank drafts. Specifically, did you or the alleged lender and financial institution use my promissory note as a bank asset which was offset by bank liability? Specifically, was my promissory note used to fund a check or bank draft? If my promissory note was used to fund a check, then I provided the money to fund the so-called loan, and you never lent me one cent of your money to purchase a note from me. Therefore, the economics are similar to stealing, counterfeiting, and swindling against me, which I never agreed to and which is not a part of the agreement. According to GAP, if you use my promissory note to fund a check, you stole my promissory note, or you recorded it as a loan from me to you, and you still owe me money that was never lent me. Stealing changed the cost and risk of the transaction. I want to know specifically, did you intend to create the economic stimulus to stealing my promissory note as part of the agreement? Please answer yes or no. If you refuse to tell me, then we have fraud in the factum, which makes you no longer the holder in due course. No good title passes with a theft. Since the promissory note is forged, no good title passes with a forged document. You are not the holder. I demand that the stolen forged promissory note now be returned or you answer all of my questions in this notice and previous notices explaining the terms and conditions of the alleged agreement concerning the economic stimulus to stealing, counterfeiting, and swindling. Fraud has been committed when a false statement is made with the maker having knowledge that the statement would be relied upon with the intention that the other party will believe it and act upon it, and the party having justifiable reliance on the truth of the statement incurs a damage. Anytime you have a theft, you have a damage. This is why counterfeiters and thieves are put in a prison. Criminals damage people. You claim the lender lent their money as consideration to purchase the promissory note from the borrower. You claim that you follow the federal laws of GAAP. You claim that one who funded the loan is to be repaid the money. The bookkeeping entries prove that I funded the alleged loan and you never gave any money to purchase the promissory note from me. The bookkeeping entries prove the economics are similar to stealing, counterfeiting, and swindling, and I want you to tell me if this is what the intent of the alleged loan agreement and if you refuse to answer, reveal the true terms and conditions of the alleged loan agreement. 
All past payments are considered to be extortion payments and are not in any way. And this is a good comeback when they ask you, did you make payments in court? All past payments are considered to be extortion payments and are not in any way considered as validation of any alleged debt owed. Because that's what they'll do. Well, you're making payments. You told me that if I do not pay the payments, that you would use legal means to collect. I am trying to resolve this matter by notices before filing court action. All I've asked you to do is answer specific questions regarding the terms and conditions of what you claim is a loan. Whether the promissory note was used to fund a check or similar instrument, and if you followed GAP. This would tell me if the terms and conditions of the alleged loan have the economic stimulus of the stealing, counterfeiting, and swindling. So far, you have refused to claim that you followed federal law regarding uh, following GAP, and you've refused to deny that the economics of stimulus of the stealing, counterfeiting, and swindling. To be a holder in due course, you must perform the following three Ds. One, purchase the promissory note from the borrower. Two, take the promissory note in good faith using honesty, absence of malice, and the absence of design to defraud or to seek an unconscionable advantage. See Black's Law Dictionary for good faith. And three, have no notice of any defense against payment of other claims on the promissory note. The alleged lender never paid one cent of consideration to purchase the promissory note from the alleged borrower. Gap was violated and material facts of the alleged agreement were concealed concerning the economic stimulus of the stealing, counterfeiting, and swindling. You are not a holder in due course, and I demand that you return the stolen promissory note or answer all of my questions to reveal the true terms and conditions of the alleged loan. If we refuse to answer, then it proves fraud in the factum, which is a real attack against the alleged holder in due course. And this is what I want to say. If you're the holder in due course, you have a, you have a uh, possessory right in the instrument, or an interest in the proceeds from it, which is why you do the 1099 OIG process. Then we go on. We got, we got, this is all an administrative process too. It's an elaborate administrative process that he's been using. It's a a breach of agreement. All this nice administrative process. Notice in the man for full disclosure. But in here, what they got, they got an affidavit for the CEO of the corporation to sign, you know, because they, they want to talk shit like, oh, y'all crazy what y'all saying. You know, you know what you're talking about. All this sounds good. You know, you don't need to go back and forth with them on that. Just slide a damn, you know, affidavit down in front of they, uh, in front of they face. I mean, let me read, let me read, let me let y'all listen to this affidavit. It's really, really short. You know, if they want to say, well, you know, they saying all this. Okay, I, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. All right, well, sign this for me real quick. You know, someone with the authority to, you know, um, bind your corporation. Okay, sign this affidavit. And here's one to a bank. It said the undersigned affiant being duly sworn on oath deposes and says that he or she is an officer of XYZ Bank that claims to hold the promissory note of I've been robbed in the original principal amount of $200,000. That he or she is an officer of Bank of America holding said note has the authority to execute this affidavit on behalf of the company and to bind the same to its provisions. The loan agreement has the following terms. Bank of America follows GAAP, generally accepted accounting principles. The intent of the loan agreement is that the party who funded the loan per bookkeeping entries is to be repaid the money loan. 
According to the book Injuries, Bank of America used their money as adequate insurance as adequate consideration to purchase the promissory note of use of ale. The promissory note was not used as value to give value to a check or similar instrument or, or check account. I firm and understand the terms and conditions of the loan agreement signed under penalty of perjury. Signature of officer, John Doe, officer of Bank of America. So here is an affidavit that you send to them. If everything that we are saying is incorrect, sign the affidavit. And end it. But they're not going to do that. They're not going to do that. They understand the ramifications for doing something like that. They're not going to do that. Let me go back to the phone line. Phone line's open, 424-222-5250. If you want to call in and ask a question, there's one on your line. Let me answer another phone call, 717-9185. You're on the line. Hey, peace, Yusuf. Um, how are you? I'm doing fine. What's going on? How you doing? I'm doing well. Um, kind of taking heed to um, some statements you had made uh, earlier this week about the uh, importance of reading UCC3. Um, so I'm, I have been doing so. I had a question though. I was wondering um, if you could help translate um, something or help me better interpret it. And it comes from um, 3-106D. Oh yeah. That's the uh, uh, unconditional promise or order. Yeah. Okay. Um, it says, provided in this section for the purpose of section 3-104A, a promise or order is unconditional unless it states an express condition of payment. Okay, you know, you know, an unconditional promise is a is a promise or order unless, okay, so we have an exception, except as provided in this section for the purposes of section 3-104A, a promise or order is unconditional unless it states an express condition to payment, two, that the promise or order is subject to or governed by another record, or three, the rights or obligations with respect to the promise or order are stated in another record. A reference to another record does not of itself make the promise or order conditional. B, a promise or order is not made conditional by, well, let's stop right here at A. So what is it that you didn't understand about A when it's talking about other records governing uh, the particular transaction and so forth. So, cause we're talking about an unconditional promise or an unconditional order. So, right, so it's I, unconditional I, I, unless, so it gives those three exceptions right there. Those are three exceptions, which make it conditional. Right. So I, I understood that, that part perfectly. It was D as in Delta um, and kind of the last sentence uh, where okay. it says, but if, if a promise or order at the time, if a promise or order at the time it is issued or first comes into possession of a holder contains a statement required by applicable statutory administrative law to the effect that the rights of a holder or transfer E are subject to claims and defenses that the issuer could assert against the original payee, the promise or order is not the promise or order is not thereby made conditional for the purposes of section three one oh four. You know what this is right here? This is the uh this is the Federal Trade Commission's uh holder in due course rule. Have you read that? That's the claims and defense notice that's on back of your automobile. All right, let me pull it up for you. The FTC holder in due course rule. Let's read it and see if it's the same thing. 
And I'm pulling up right now. This is a uh, FTC holder in due course rule, Federal Trade Commission. And the preservation of consumer claims and defenses. Uh, let me hold on. Let me read it. Uh, it preserves their rights. Let me see if I got it right. The best thing the FTC has ever done. <laughs> the FTC confirms holder rule. It was holder in due course. Lender liability FTC rule. Wait a minute, I got the holder in due course. Okay, I got the wrong thing up there. Holder in due course rule, Federal Trade Commission. The preservation of consumer claims and defenses holder in due course rule, formerly known as the trade regulation rule concerning preservation of consumer claims and defenses, protects consumers when merchants sell a consumer credit contract to other lenders. Specifically, it preserves consumer rights to assert the same legal claims and defenses against anyone who purchases the credit contract as they would have against the seller who originally provided the credit. And this is the claims and defenses notice that, that you'll see an example of on your car contract. So right here, if a promise or order at the time it is issued or first comes into possession of a holder contains a statement, okay? If a promise or order at the time it is issued or first comes into possession of a holder contains a statement required by applicable statutory administrative law, which is the holder in due course, we just read the FTC, that's, that's, the one, that's what they're referencing, to the effect that the rights of a holder or transfer E are subject to claims and defenses that the issuer could assert against the original payee, the promise or order is not thereby made conditional for the purposes of Section 3104A. But if the promise or order is an instrument, there cannot be a holder in due course of the instrument. There cannot be one if there's a promise or order contains a statement, okay, that is subject. So that right there is your car contract. I'll give you an example of what they're talking about. That's that, that, that's that car contract. Because yeah. I didn't read all about it, okay? You retain your rights and your rights to set off. They don't become the holder in due course of those con- contracts because they put a um, uh, on that car contract because they put a claims and defense notice on there for you. Okay. So that, that you last see what I'm saying? Yeah, so the, the last sentence where it says, but if the promise or order is an instrument, there cannot be a holder in due course of the instrument. Um, okay, that's that, an explanation of this first thing, because you see there's a semicolon right there. Right. But if there's a promise or order, or order, but if the promise or order is an instrument, there cannot be a holder in due course of the instrument. If there's a claims and defense notice, I'm not understanding what that's talking about right there. Because the first part is... That's where I got confused. I, I understood everything else in the section, but that I just kept getting confused when I read that. So, I mean, how can a promise or order, you know, a promise or order is a fucking instrument. Okay, it says, if a promise or order, okay, let's look at, uh, look, look at C. If a promise or order requires a conditional payment, a counter signature by a person whose specimen signature appears on the promise or order, the condition does not make the promise or order conditional for the pur- uh, purposes of Section 3104E. 3104A. If the person whose specimen signature appears on an instrument fails to countersign the instrument, the failure countersign is a defense to the obligation of the issuer, but the failure does not prevent a transferee of the instrument from becoming a holder in due course. Okay, so right here on C, okay, but the failure does not prevent the transferee of the instrument from becoming a holder in due course. 
Now, right here, if a promise, let's look at D again. If a promise or order at the time it is issued or first comes into possession of a holder contains a statement. Okay, so we're looking for some statement. Okay, and then it qualifies it. Required by applicable statutory administrative law, which all this right here fits into this claims and defense notice from the Federal Trade Commission, to the effect that the rights of a holder or transferee, those are the people who are receiving it, are subject to claims and defenses that the issuer could assert against the original payee. The promise or order is not thereby made conditional for the purpose of Section 3104A, but if the promise or order is an instrument, there cannot be a holder in due course of the instrument. And I don't understand that. I'm going to tell you real straight up, I don't understand that. I'm thinking maybe they say it because they put the claims and defense on there, your rights have been preserved, or I, I think, or maybe they're talking about any subsequent holder of that instrument. But, you know, that's the only thing that would make sense to me because the claims and defense notice that they put on there is called the holder in due course rule. Right. So, if it's confusing you, then I, 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 um, I feel fine that, that it confused me then. Hey, look, man, I, they, I be, they, that, they be making it intentionally over. confusing. You, you got to pull. I'll tell you what. This is what I'm going to do. Let me pull up this. Uh, this is why we have the bankers. The bankers uh, 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 um, handbook, because they answer a lot of questions in that banker's handbook. A lot of questions get answered in that banker's handbook. Let me pull it back up. And let me see right here where it talks about, what is that, UCC 3 what? 106D. 3, 3106. Let me pull it up real quick in here. Let me see if I can find it. Because they give, they give good explanations in here of, uh, of everything. 3106. Is, is that Go bankers, ahead. is that banker's handbook in the the back office? For, it's right there um, on the uh, description of the uh, video. Y'all look on the description of the uh, stream that I'm airing right now. I put it right there in the description of the stream. You'll see banker's handbook. Okay. And you have three, and that's UCC three. What was that again? UCC three dash. 106. 106B. I got 302, 30106. Let me see if we got it in here. Bang his hand with 3106. Because it go through all of that. Um, that is the credit, 3106. And holder in due course. Payment of bank holder in due course is 16.1. And I'd have to probably read through this entire thing to see if I can find it. But 16.1 is where you get everything that has to do with holder in due course, credit card transactions, use of negotiable instruments, and it's claimed the defense is under the Uniform Consumer Credit Code. The the pervasiveness of the FTC holder in due course rule makes much state legislation on the subject moot. The FTC rule, of course, does not purport to override any local law on the subject. Thus, local laws uh, may provide additional rights and duties. Also, they may uh, reach transactions not covered by the FTC rule. The Uniform Consumer Credit Code is a comprehensive attempt to deal with this subject. Drafted prior to the FTC rule, many of the purposes of the UCCC provisions have now been satisfied by the FTC rule. Nevertheless, the UCCC deserves consideration because of its attempt to deal comprehensively with the holder in due course problem. The UCCC is the first attempt by uniform law to eliminate the holder in due course. The first draft of the UCCC 1968 
Act was promulgated by the National Conference of Commissioners on Uniform State Laws in 1968. The 1968 Act was adopted by eight states. The current version of the Act, which was promulgated in 1974, varies substantially from the 1968 Act. The purpose of the UCCC is to abolish the holder in due course doctrine in consumer transactions. The 1974 Act contains four provisions that pertain to negotiability and the consumer. Section 3307 deals with the holder in due course. Section 343 pertains to credit card transactions. Section 3.44 is concerned with the waiver of defense clause. And Section 3.45 treats direct loans. Uh, Section 3.307, use of negotiable instruments. Section 3.307 prohibits use of negotiable instruments for credit and consumer transactions. With respect to a consumer credit sale or consumer lease, except a sale or lease primarily for agricultural purpose, the creditor may not take a negotiable instrument other than a check dated not later than 10 days after its issuance as evidence of the obligation of the consumer. Section 3403, credit card transaction. And this, this looks interesting right here. You know, if you read through this, waiver defense clause, availability of claims and defense against lender, Section 3.45 subjects a lender other than the issue of a credit card to all claims and defenses of a consumer right against a seller or lessor with respect to the purchase or lease of property when the lender has made a consumer loan to enable the consumer to enable to enter into the sale or lease transaction. When the criteria of this section are met, the lender will be subject to all the claims and defenses the consumer has against the particular seller or lessor with respect to the property or services in question. For this liability to arise, a relationship must exist between the lender and the seller or lessor. The act specifies six ways in which the required relationship may be shown. And this kind of gets a little into it. I think it kind of touches on it a little bit because we're talking about the elimination of the holder in due course, which is what is referenced right here. I'd have to get deep into it and and read it. But right there, I'm going to tell you what, what, when we, we talked about this, what the first thing that jumped out at me. Okay, well, you're saying there's no hold in due course, yet you are preserving the rights of a hold in due course because there's a statement in there, okay, like what it says, if a promise or order at the time it is issued or first comes to the possession of a holder contains a statement required by applicable statutory administrative law to the effect that the rights of a holder or transferee are subject to claims and defenses that the issuer could assert against the original payee. That's straight up the FTC holder in due course rule right there. The promise or order is not thereby made conditional for the purposes of Section 3104A. But if the promise or order is an instrument, there cannot be a holder in due course of the instrument. Don't understand that. I'm going to be honest with you. I have to look that up and see. That don't make no sense to me. That makes no sense. (laughs) And somebody else said it don't make any – some of the stuff in here don't make no sense. But a lot of stuff I read in here don't make any sense, but that don't make no sense to me. At all, but I, I'll look it up. I'll find it. I'll find it. It's, it, it's probably going to be in this bank, uh, banker's book because you're talking about the elimination of a holder in due course on a particular instrument that has a statement that is required by statutory administrative law. Okay. So that's what, first of all, that's applying to something that is required by applicable statutory administrative law. It don't apply to everything. Okay, that's one. And, that, and that's why I gave you an example. Car contracts fit that, that description. Because the FTC mm-hmm. requires them to put that claims and defense notice on those. Uh, if you look at your car contract, you'll find it on there. The claims and defense notice. Okay. That's and, all the holder of the court rule. And you're right that it is preserving 
let me just make this clear that your right is that it's preserving is the equitable equitable right of set off. Set off. Go study it and y'all find out if I'm telling you the truth or not. I no, want I, y'all to go I, investigate it. I trust you. <laughs> and uh I was just to, to comment on um uh earlier today the the um school that um Donald Trump went to it's Wharton Business School and the the some I I've taken classes there the um the some of the business professors do do know um this stuff um they don't teach it right like um at least the ones that I've encountered they don't teach it you know straight out but if you approach them like and I'm obvious not trying to um like a pun or anything, but if you do approach them privately about it, um, they they will sometimes talk about it, like the ones that do know. I, yeah, I know. I've had attorneys talk to me about it in private, right. you know. Sometimes, yeah. you know, some, you know, it's like, I, you know, when you do this long enough, you're going to meet people from the public going to admit things to you. You do it long enough, okay. you're going to run into people. They're going to tell you right. It is, but they're not going to let you do this. They'll say something like, yeah, you're right, but they're – I'm not gonna let that happen, you know. Like I was having a, a discussion with this attorney on um, what seized is like in a mortgage contract that you guarantee the property is seized, which means you own it. You know, I'm like, well, how you give me a loan, you know, for a loan I've received, and then I'm guaranteeing that I own the property. I don't have the property. Ain't none of the shit that's being discussed in this mortgage contract true. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Ain't none of it is true. And he told right. me you're right, but they're not gonna let you bring that up in court. He told me that. He said you're right, but they ain't gonna let you bring that up in court. Yeah. Um, you know? <laughs> did you? Go ahead. Um, I got two, two two more questions. I'll try to be really quick. Um, did you? I I still have not seen the um the link to the webinar the webinar this week. Oh, Saturday. Yeah, it'll be up. Just give me a chance. I was up late. Helping people with criminal cases. Uh, I I mean, you know, I do these three hour shows and then people somebody said on video mine, I'm losing respect for you. You charge for your time. Okay, I, let me tell you something. You talk to people all day. You come on a radio talk for three hours, then get off the phone and you got a line of people want to talk to you some more and everybody wanna to talk to you for free. You tell me how much of your free time that you wanna give up, you know, of your life and everything to talk to people. Like a million people want to talk to you and everything. You need to get the hell out of here. You don't know what you're talking about. You're not in a, in a, you're not in a position where you even understand, you know, how you can't possibly talk to everybody. You can't possibly answer everybody's email. You can all you can do is try to listen to what everybody's asking you and try to do a show on it and try to address as many of their concerns and try to exhaust the subject. So if they do have some questions, it gets answered on your show. Right. No, and I, I, I meant no disrespect by the... No, I'm not talking about you. I, just, I, I, I yeah, wasn't referring I, to you. I was talking yeah, to somebody. Yeah, I just want to make sure I don't miss the um, the opportunity to attend. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right. I, that, my, that was my excuse for not putting up the link yet. I'm like, you know, I'm like, <laughs> I'm trying to get... And then I was trying to do the uh the the webinar last night too. I had a webinar last night, so I had yeah, to reschedule it for the night. And then it got yeah, I was on that. Um, and then um, 
Okay. Do you know how much the the fee is going to be yet, or you I don't know that? yet. I'm All still right. working it out. I don't know yet, but I, I have it worked out today. I have it worked okay. out today. Trust me, it'll be worked out. But um, you have any other questions? Yeah, my last one. I was just gonna ask if you um, I know you uh, I, I, on a private webinar uh, last week or two weeks ago, um, you had mentioned that you were gonna um, maybe post some information about some further information about um, CPNs on the on the back office. Um, oh yeah, so I just wanted now, I got a I got I, listen. Let me tell y'all something. If y'all go to the PDF section, okay of the website. I already got stuff in there for y'all. I mean, it's not like I'm hiding anything. You know, you need to look it up through all those folders. There's a whole bunch of stuff on that website. And if you go to your law library, your PDF section, I mm-hmm. there is a section that says uh, it's under credit. It's cre- credit, yeah, under credit. And okay. uh. Credit disputes, creating BNC, credit items, secret social security number, ultimate credit loophole, you know, all these things right here, you know, you'll see it. It'll, it'll be, it'll be in there. Okay. I'm going to add some more stuff in there too. I got some, uh, I got some other stuff I'm adding in there, but you look in there and you'll see all of this stuff, you know, and there's a folder for business credit as well that I would suggest that has a whole lot of stuff in it. And the CPN stuff is in there. If you look at, the one that says business credit, mm-hmm. I got all the CT, them CPN documents are in there, and the business credit one. So all you know, right. it's like it's stuff, it's stuff. You know, it's stuff. It's on the website. If y'all take the time to really go through the website, I I, I already put the stuff up there. There's a ton of no, stuff on I, there. I've it's, been re- just, I've been reading through it. I just know that you said you were gonna maybe talk to a contact of yours. And then, oh, um, yeah, 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 the, the guy. Um, okay, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll get in touch with him. I'm kind of trying to see, too. Um, I'm kind of like, I'm, you know, sometimes you have to wait a little bit and see if these guys are on, on, the, on the up and up, but he seems to be on the up and up, and I'll, I'll put his information out there for him. I didn't get a chance to talk. You know, you start talking to so many people, you forget who you talk to on the air and forget to do stuff, you know? But I'll do that. Uh, thank you for reminding me. Thank you for reminding me. I I get that. I get that up. Won't be a problem. That's not that's not an issue. I can put that out. But like I'm telling you, you can use anybody. I mean, it's like I be picking people just out of blue. You know, it's like I don't like have no rhyme or reason to it. I kind of call like I get like about five people. I call them up. I will talk to them. Um, I'll see how they want to get paid. If they want to get paid in some kind of way where they can run off with your money. You know, usually when you pay somebody, you want to use PayPal. So, you know, you can get your money back or a credit card or something like that. Don't pay them no other kind of way but that way to ensure that, you know, you get your money, uh, that you get what you're asking for. Because they fucked up that particular um, stuff with, you know, so much uh, people cheating people out of their money and stuff. You know, Hell, I done lost a lot of money learning that game right there on trade lines in particular, like uh I had lost about seven, eight thousand dollars, you know, with trade lines. So I just got to the point. I was like, forget it. I create my own trade lines. I'm not going to depend on these people to put trade lines on. They're trying to charge ridiculous amounts of money and all kind of stuff for, you know, things are to tell you the truth are pretty simple, are very simple. You could do all this yourself. You don't really need these guys to do this stuff for you. You really don't. You know, I did everything myself. 
All of my stuff, I did everything myself. I didn't have purchased anything from anybody. I didn't purchase anything from anybody. You know, so, but that was just me, you know. I've been doing it for so long. But I tried to, try to go the fast route, because, you know, everybody wants to go the fast route. I will tell you like this, too. If you take it slow and building your credit, it's going to be stronger. You know, trying to, like, you can, you know, like, you can use the trade lines. That's cool. And you can get some stuff. But if you, like, just, just meticulously build it up and everything like that, man, it's going to, it'll be solid in about two years. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you the truth. It'll be real solid. You can do just about anything with it. Do just about anything okay. with buy a house, buy cars, get credit cards, all that kind of stuff. But you need to be um, very, very pay attention to it. I would suggest that you go get something like an Equifax account with it too. Like I got an Equifax account. So I, I, I check in and monitor my credit every day. And that's, that's why I can tell you about the fluctuations also in your, um, in the uh, usage and things like that. You, you know, once you get that CPN, go get you a, um, a bank account with it. Uh, get you a Equifax account and monitor your account, monitor your use. It's real inexpensive. It's not as expensive as people think it is. And, and it's worth it. It's real. It's worth it. Cause you know, cause you can see your credit in real time, your credit reports in real time. Um, the fluctuations in your FICO score in real time. You know, you're seeing all of this stuff, you know, that's happening with your credit, and you begin to understand also how your conduct or your usage of your credit, how it affects you, and it makes you more, much more cognizant of it, and you're not just going to be so willy-nilly and go out there, and, oh, I think I'll just buy this with my credit card. When you see the impact on your credit from that, you know, and you begin to understand, okay, I need to pay all this stuff off. You know, if I'm going to buy something, I need to pay it off within a week. I don't need to let this thing sit on my uh, my credit report for 30 days or 60 days. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get rid of it. So I'm not going to purchase anything I can't handle. I can't pay off in a, a quick amount of time. And then you're going to start getting into the debt to income ratio, um, raising your credit limits, uh, getting more credit cards. You should get a new credit card every six months. Um, just things like that. You know, you'll learn, but you learn all that. You know, you'll, the Equifax account will teach you all that. You don't even need no guru. Because everything in that back office, they telling you everything you need to know and what's hurting you and what you need to do the whole time in the back office. Okay. It's really interesting. Yeah, I, I appreciate it, and I I appreciate um all not just that that um that segment of your um website, but all the information that you have on there. It's definitely um it is helped um connect a lot of dots for me and um, just has really um, helped me progress in my understanding of a lot of this information. So I appreciate that. And um, I, I'll be on the lookout for the um, the webinar. The link. Yeah, okay. I, I'll put it. I'm going to put it. It'll probably be a, a link to it. It'll probably be under this, uh, uh, this stream, too. I'm going to put a link to it under this stream uh, so people can uh, just register straight from this stream also. Uh, for it. So, you know, look in the description of this of this uh this blog talk that we're doing right now and you'll see a link for it also there. Okay? All right. All right. I appreciate it. All right. Well I guess I don't have no more questions. Everybody just sitting back listening now. We were talking about the holding due course rule today. We we're going over some stuff. I think I probably pretty much got it in y'all mind. You know, that concept, because that holding due course thing is so important for people to understand, in my opinion, because everything around you, when you go buy these cars, you buying these houses, um, you writing checks, 
Uh, you write in uh, private negotiable instruments like bills of exchange and set off stuff, promissory notes, money orders, all these different things that you hear floating around. You know, who's talking about holding new chords? Who's explaining, you know, claims on the instrument? You know, a claim in recoupment. You know, why can you really do a 1099 OID? I understand why you should be able to do a 1099 OID. You know, because first of all, they ain't laying loan you nothing. They're using your credit. They owe it back to you. That's why they have a recoupment. You're supposed to be able to recoup that. But they blocking you from recouping it because they blocking you from being the holder in due course. Or either you're blocking yourself through ignorance. So, you know, these are things that I think you have to explore to really understand this game of commerce and negotiable instruments. And in particular, if you're going to be trying to set off debt, because when you set off debt, yeah, you're going to get a pushback. And you need to know how to handle the pushback. You need to know that you are right. You need to know the rules because a lot of times they, you get a pushback and you'd be wrong because you're not the old in due course. We just stole your instrument. We're not giving it back to you. We don't have to. You know, things of that nature, you know. And um, because of the ignorance of the commerce rules, we'd be like, man, like these people are corrupt and everything. And it's like, well, maybe, but they understand the rules to the game. And we got to understand the rules a little bit more too. I'll stop blaming uh, individuals when I start studying a little bit more and start seeing where I was at fault at a lot of different things, you know, when you're attempting to discharge a debt or something like that. People just think that they need to just, you know, put together a negotiable instrument and send it to the people and they're just going to accept it. You live in an adversarial world. Right? They're not going to open the door already. First of all, let me just say this, that when something works, y'all run back and tell everybody and then open a the door and then a million people start trying to do the same thing. So that in itself right there is one reason you ain't going to never see no fucking proof of nothing and everything like that, because they ain't going to open no doors for a million y'all. Look how y'all acted with, you know, that, that number on the back of the social security card. You can discharge debt. It's like a wild herd, you know, went through there for that right there. But now you're not going to see any proof. Somebody's sitting there saying, well, I want it. Somebody was in my uh, Facebook group talking about I ain't seen no proof this works. I'm going to kick your ass out. All right. What you talking about even if I discharge your debt, how the fuck you going to know? What I used to, to, what do you, I got a car right now, zeroed out. I can show you the title to it. I can show you international bill of exchange, show you where I mailed off some shit and everything. You cannot know for certain if I paid that shit with Federal Reserve notes and zeroed it out, or I just made up a negotiable instrument and zeroed it out. Use your goddamn common sense. I'm so sick of people using, uh, not using their common sense when it comes to things. Use your common sense. I've seen people all through this get food and gurus come along and take a lot of money from people because they are able to say, oh, see, I, I discharged this debt right here. Here, pay me and I'll show you how I did it and everything. That ain't proof of a goddamn thing. You can't prove it. The only way you're going to know is if you do it yourself. You're the only person that's going to know if that negotiable instrument set off your account or not. Ain't nothing to prove it. Because you don't have access to any of the accounting behind the scenes. Use y'all fucking common sense. <laughs> My God. <laughs> we got anybody else got they want uh, have any uh uh any questions they want to hit one on your phone if you want to speak to the host. Hit one. 586 8620. 586-8620. Yeah. Can you hear me? Loud and clear. Okay. Uh, this is 
Thanks for what you do, by the way, and I appreciate the way you do it. You break it down for the average person to understand it. Um, that being said, on a secured party application, UCC1, if I have a, uh, a court judgment from years ago in my favor that I never collected on, can I use that as uh, the debtor uh, and get it through with me as a creditor and then later file a uh, three amendment to uh, re put my um, straw man in as a debtor. Okay, I think I know what you're saying. Um, I'm, I'm looking for an example right now for you. Uh, In other words, the state I'm in, they they fight you tooth and nail over setting up a your straw man as a debtor and and you in your you as an authorized representative as the creditor. And um, right, I'm right. Getting, I'm getting tired of fooling with them, so I I got thinking about it. I've got an old court judgment that um, I never collected on, but as far as I'm concerned, it's actually a security. And that uh, why couldn't I place a lien on that with the defendant as the debtor? But what's you, got okay. that established? I'm, I'm looking for right now that in, in Greece. Let me let me let me find it. Uh, uh, Greece pays off national debt. Arrested. Uh, all right, let me tell y'all a little story about what he's uh, uh, what, what he's talking about. Okay, there's this guy. His name is Artemis Soros. I want y'all to write down his name, Artemis Soros. He spelled his name A-R-T-E-M-I-S, and his last name is Soros, S-O-R-R-A-S. All right. Now, he's been on the run from, from the police. There's a lot of stuff. You go on YouTube and pull him up, and you're going to find a lot of information on him. Okay, so why are you bringing this up, Yusuf? Well, this guy right here, he uh, he's a self-proclaimed trillionaire, and where he got his money from is from a lien that an attorney placed on the Washington State Bar Association for a debt. All right. And then he took it, turned around, and stole it. So I think that's what you're saying. Basically, it's like you somebody owe, you got a judgment. Somebody owes you some money. Can I put it in some form of uh, negotiable instrument because it's a debt owed to you and then convey it or sell it to somebody else? Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah, but also, uh, first off, I want to get my UCC1 through. As me as a creditor, right. yeah, right. So I'm saying, can I do that with that instrument, and then uh, later file a three, uh, uh, putting my uh, straw man on as a debtor as well? Yeah, you can always do an amendment. Yeah, you know, they have they actually have the forms for that where you can add additional debtors to it. I don't see why not. I see. So you're going to use. So basically, you're going to use. The debt that's owed to you as the 
collateral for establishing your straw man? Is is that what I'm understanding? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what, I'm, that's what I'm thinking. Is that your birth certificate? You're not going to use your birth certificate? No, no. no use uh, this uh, court judgment. Uh, they two separate issues, man. The reason you're using a birth certificate and a social security card because that is the property that everybody in the public is trying to attach, and that's the property that needs to, that's the property that needs to be protected. Right. So you need to. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't modify that. I would add your your claim later to that. I wouldn't do it the other way around. I'd switch it around. I'd do my UCC one of my birth certificate first and add that judgment to it on a UCC three. I wouldn't. Uh, oh, I, I wouldn't do it the way that you're talking about doing it. And oh, they okay. kind of don't have anything really to do with each other. But okay. I was going to talk about this uh, this case where this guy took a debt and then sold it, and it's been rolling for like 15 years. And the person who did it is an attorney, and he used that process out of cracking the code, volume uh, a, a third edition. Use that. Use that cracking the okay. code third edition uh, process. This is a, is an, an attorney. That did. His name yeah. is Stephen. Uh, what his name is Stephen. I'm trying to think of the attorneys. I'm looking for his name right now. His name Wozny. is Stephen. W-O-Z-N-Y. Okay, uh, Washington Bar, Washington Supreme Court letter. Let me see if it pull up. Uh, Uh, Stephen Wise, his name is Stephen Wise, Wiseney, 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 yeah. Wiseney. <laughs> is that his name, Stephen Wiseney? Right. Well, Wozney, I think, W-O-Z-N-Y. W-O-Z, yeah, W-O-Z-N-E-Y, yeah, that was it, Wo- Wo- Wozney, yeah, I think, I, yeah, there it is, that was it, letter to the Supreme Court, thanks. So, this guy, Stephen Wozney. And Stephen L. Wozen, he's an attorney, and um, mm-hmm. he took he took he took he, he he went and did a secure for people who say that attorneys don't know this stuff. This right here is a perfect example of an attorney using everything that we're talking about, actually taking it further by putting a lien against the uh, bar association. He exposed them for the frauds that they were. Okay, he's like, I don't even know who you motherfuckers are, right? Because they was they was trying to take his bar card and everything, basically, because he got a he got a judgment against a judge, and they didn't want to uh, confirm it, right? Because the judge was in default, they took it all the way to the uh, the Washington State Supreme Court and addressed them, and then told and let them have it. And when he seen that he couldn't get no remedy in any of the courts, he went to self help and he put a lien against that. State bar, and they was trying to take it off. They've been trying to call it fraud and everything. And they went to the Supreme Court over in Greece and brought it up. And the, uh, the Supreme Court uh, uh, officials in Greece say we don't see anything wrong with it. Right. Yeah. I wouldn't follow this whole case and everything. And that's where that guy Artemis Soros is saying he became a trillionaire because Stephen Wozniak sold him a part uh, of his lien from that Washington State Bar Association. Yeah. Well, since we're, since we're on that subject, let, let me follow up on this as well. Um, that 
court judgment that I have in my favor uh, was from years ago, and um, it has uh, interest on it as well. So it being, as far as I'm concerned, a secured instrument, can, can I monetize that? Who is the judgment against? Because let me tell you another story. I had the guy, one of the guys who, when I first learned this, was a banker, and he was in federal prison. And what happened was he did some um, he did some construction work for the United States up in New York. He's from New York, and it was like three hundred million dollars, um, and they owed him three hundred million dollars. And he went to court and got a judgment against them for the three hundred million dollars. And then um. Uh, they didn't. They said they're gonna pay him in seven payments. This is the United States. This is the government now. The United uh-huh. States government. All right. So the United States government didn't pay him. All right. So years went by. It was like ten years or something like that. You know, it's eating them up. The United States. You know, they. You know, they. They. You know, it, they. They won't pay him his money. They're talking him out. You know, yeah, you won, but we don't have to give you no money. So he found that he started reading the UCC. He went to self help. Uh, he went overseas and stole the debt. And when he got back to the United States, the United States arrested him for financial terrorism. We call it financial terrorism. But he went mm. and sold it to another country. So you can do what you're saying. That's why I'm asking you who are you got this against. Because if it's with the United States, I would advise you to do it. Because he did oh, it. No. He sold it. Because the interest it got up to a billion dollars, and he was negotiating with them, and he said, "Look, I'm not ta- I'm not taking any money out of uh, circulation of the country. I just want you to put this billion dollars on the screen." He wanted them to put it on the screen, and they refused uh-huh. to do so. They said, uh, "Take off the interest because we give you a three hundred million," and he didn't want to do it because he said the interest on this thing got up to a billion dollars, uh-huh. and he sold it. And he sold it over, but he uh-huh. went overseas and sold. It. Went overseas and sold it. Sold the debt to another country and everything. So, you know, they, and they arrested him when he came back to the state and charged him with financial terrorism, something like that. I, I can't remember the exact charge. Yeah. But it was something to that effect. It was some sort of terrorism. You know, they like to put terrorism on everything. So, yeah. Uh, that's well, all I'm just saying. I've heard what, sure. you're, what you are talking about can be done. I was just wondering who it was. That's all. Yeah, it's a private, private you, individual. In a private yeah, put business. This character did. He um he put a lien on them. When you go to the uh when you go to the uh, Washington State UCC commercial uh, registry, you can see the records of everything that went on. You go and see the mm. records of everything. He sold that shit to a lot of different people and been doing it for like the last fifteen years. And they've been trying to say they tried to take it to court, try to say all type of stuff was fraud. I ain't seen them get that lien off of them yet. They talking yeah. about him. And, you know, he's a fraud. It's just fraudulent and everything. I haven't seen him get that lean off of him yet. Yeah. That's why I be looking at. I'm saying, okay, y'all talking all this shit, but y'all ain't got that lean up off your ass. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> so, so in my case, I should get the UCC one through uh, with the straw man as a debtor, and then add this on is an uh, is a three. As a collateral ad or something like that, yeah, I would probably do something to that effect. I'm just speaking oh, okay. off the top of my head. Sure, but sure. You probably sure. don't need to associate it with that, but you could. You know, I don't see if you just – everything has is about your description. Can you – when right. you look at a UCC one, that is are you explaining things where people can understand what the fuck you're doing? Okay. 
That's the, you know what I'm saying? It's not, it's not like it has to be written in a certain way or anything. Are you writing it in a way where people can understand what you are doing? It's a notice that you're putting in the commercial chamber. It's identifying who the debtor is and who the creditor is. In that situation, that other private individual would be the debtor and you would be the creditor. I would probably put it on a separate UCC one. I don't even see, see why it needs to even be attached to any of your secure party stuff, if you want me to be honest. Uh, but, oh, okay. you know, it's like, you know, he's the debtor, you're the creditor. you got a judgment and your collateral description. You're going to reference the case number. All right, when it happened, you're going to identify the uh, the amount of interest that's accrued over that amount of time, you know, and so forth. You're going to send out notices to them and let them know that you're going to put a UCC one on them. There's a notice that's what you're supposed to do. And then you're going to give them time to answer. And then you're going to uh, put it in a form of a bond and, refer- and, and maybe reference this uh, uh, UCC filing number so they can go into the commercial registry that will lead them to the court case where you got the judgment and then sell it. But, you know, you need some assets, too, probably, you know, if you're going to sell it. You know, you need to ship trace them if you got any assets that can be attached or something like that because the person purchasing that instrument may want to see that. However, yeah, you could do it, you know. It could be done very easily. It ain't hard. And you're entitled to do it. You just need to document everything properly and give proper notice to the individual that you are, uh, you know, that you are leaning up like that. You know, yeah, I don't even, notices. Yeah, I don't even know if he's still alive, to tell you the truth. It was 34 oh, uh, years ago. Well, send it to the last known address. Skip tra- I'm Skip Trace. <laughs> you know, you got to do what you got to do, you know. So. All right. All right, cool. Thanks, uh, Yusuf. I appreciate it. And keep up right. the great work. I appreciate you. Appreciate you. Let me go back yeah. down to the phone lines. Let's go to, oh, man, it's a million people start calling in. Watch. Uh, I said hit number one. Everybody like, oh, that's what we do. Number two, two <laughs> Erico 210-8637, you're on the line. Eric code two one zero. Peace, brother. Hey, peace, peace. What's happening? Hey, I just want to know: Did you read that affidavit from the banker's handbook? Because that was a nice affidavit. Yeah, it was. Oh, what's nice documents? It's not not the banker's handbook; it's the banker's secret manual by Tom Shaw. All right, he wrote that. yeah, you know, he's like, because he's got he did, you know, these guys audited banks. You know, the people who know about mm-hmm. an audit banks, and they put that together like that. And I know from experience that they won't never sign an affidavit. They won't sign anything. They try to avoid liability. They're the kind of people that announce you in the public, call you crazy, call you sovereign citizens, all this kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, pull all these things at you. And then when you turn around and try to read some rational, um, uh, have a rational uh, debate with them or some kind of way settle the matter and say simply, well, look, you know, if you are telling the truth in this affidavit, you're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. Okay, okay. So that, that's one of the links you sent, you sent out? Yeah, that was a, uh, well, I'll put it in the, uh, let me put it in the, you tell me the banker's secret manual. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, whatever you whatever you put in the email, I downloaded it already. I didn't have a chance to look at. I'm at work right now. 
Well, I'm putting, uh, I'm putting uh, Pankish Manual in the description uh, of the blog talk. Uh, you can, uh, you can, uh, well, you can go back to your friend. Everything that you need, okay? Okay, man, I appreciate that. All right. All right, peace. All right, peace, peace, peace. All right, let me put this in the, uh, let me put this in there, because, no. I hope people be wanting to. Okay, what document are you reading? Okay, so I'm, I got the bank officer's handbook and I got the banker's banker's secret manual. And I'm, I'm both of these in here, and they'll be. And when I tell you there, you can refresh your. Uh, you can, if you're on listening on the internet, you can refresh, and you'll see, you should see the link pop up under the video under your under the stream right now. Well, it takes a little bit of time to update. Let me go back. It takes a little bit of time to update, but it will. Uh, it'll be under the banker's secret manual, and it'll be right there on the stream. All right, and go in the back of it. It got some very 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 good forms. I mean tell you something. I've used those forms a lot in fighting foreclosures. I've used those forms a lot in, um, you know, a lot of different things. You know, I've adapted them and converted them over and used portions of it in some of my other documents and things like that. I've used a lot of uh, information from the Banker's Secret Manual. A lot of it from the, and you should read that manual because that man knows what he's talking about. You know, he goes to the UCC like no other. And he's right. You know, it's like, now the reason that you have to sign affidavits is because all debts have to be verified. They have to be sworn to under penalty of perjury. And what they try to do is they try to get you to testify against yourself so they don't have to provide any evidence or submit any affidavits or anything. That's the, that's the whole trick is to get you to testify against yourself because if you testify against yourself, they don't have to provide any evidence or anything. You just testified against yourself. So that's what, you know, that's the trick. That's the main trick that they're playing. They try to pull you into a deposition or something like that. And like, look, man, I just asked you to provide the, the promissory note or whatever evidence to substantiate or verify that you indeed are a creditor of mine and that I, that I owe you some sort of obligation, that you're a bona fide creditor. And they won't do it. They won't ever do it. They won't ever do it. All right, let's go back to the phone lines real quick. Let's go to 770-0509. Let me go in Georgia real quick. Georgia. Seven seven zero zero five zero Eight three two eight three two oh eight oh two. Good day. Hey, how you doing? Hi, how are you? I'm awesome. All right. I um, have been a long time listener and supporter for quite a while now. Um, a mm-hmm. few years ago, I got married, and my husband uh, became very jealous of me listening to you. And um, I stopped. I stopped doing the processes. <laughs> yeah, he was very insecure. Um, <laughs> 
And so I stopped doing all of the the processes that I was in the process of before uh, I met him. Um, Anyhow, we're in the process of a divorce due to domestic violence. And I wanted to know... um, We putting him on blast on the air, boy. (laughs) Yeah. Go ahead. ahead. (laughs) So I wanted to know... um, what tort processes do I have? Because I'm being contacted by, like, they have some type of here in Texas and Houston. They have, like, a like the domestic violence hotline. So I'm getting calls saying that, you know, he's posted bail. And then I'm getting calls from people saying, oh, well, you know, you can submit, like, whatever monies um, and it'll come through the court. I'm not really understanding. It's just so much coming at me. Um, but I was like, well, maybe I could just do a tort on my own because we started a trucking company while we were together, and he cut me off of all the accounts. Um, so I'm like, wow, I was, you know, living off that that income, yeah, you know, right. and it's like yeah, I. Right, right. Okay. Well, let me uh, let me say this. Um, all right. Um, first of all, it sounds like you. Um, um, you bit the hand, <laughs> you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But you need to do an administrative process first, all right? In other words, okay, what am I saying? All right, whatever is your demands or whatever wrong or injury, because a tort is a private form of action, it's an injury or an injury that's happened, all right? So whatever you claim have is the injury that has to be. Uh, um, that needs to be, you know, that will make you whole. I, you try to settle that privately first, and you do that through correspondence. You do everything in writing. You don't call a person on the phone. You don't, you know, you know, hey, my, you know, you gonna uh, sign the company back over, whatever. You don't do any of that. You put every all your everything that you're saying in writing, and then you're gonna basically state why you think you are entitled. To some sort of remedy. So, in in other words, you're gonna write your husband and say, uh, uh, "Dear ex-husband, okay, on such and such date, um, you chose to remove my name or from the bank accounts or the statements or whatever, blah 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 blah." Um, as uh, as uh, uh, due to the fact that we were, and I'm doing all this off the top of my head. Due to, due to the fact that we were married, I have an entitlement right and an interest. And the proceeds that are coming from our company, blah, blah, blah. The, this is in the amount of X, Y, and Z, which constitutes 40% of, the, uh, of that uh, income, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then you go back and say, you know, uh, I've checked the dates. As of this date, I'm entitled to this amount of money. And I'm billing you for this amount of money for you to return this, this amount of money to me, blah, blah, blah. I, you're putting everything, you're reducing everything down to writing, what the issue is, why you think you have some sort of entitlement to whatever it is he's, uh, you know, keeping from you that constitutes some sort of injury that you're receiving, and then making um, an offer because you, are, you should be uh, what is called solution-oriented. Uh, you want to you agree with your adversary before you get to court, as in Matthew 5.25. So, here is the solution that I'm proposing that would help resolve the matter. And you send that to him, certified mail with an affidavit of mailing from a notary. Okay. This right here is constitutes evidence that you have tried to resolve the matter privately before taking it into a court or taking the next step in some other form of action. 
but you've already tried to remedy the situation by contacting them in writing because there is a, you know, maxim of law that the spoken word flies out the window and the written word remains forever. You know, you're just talking on the phone to somebody that's here one minute, gone the next. That can't be used in no court, you know, but you reduce something down to writing in a cogent manner where you can understand, you know, well, okay, why do you think you entitled? Why, why are you entitled to this money from this corporation? That's the income that's coming from the company that y'all started. Well, y'all started it together. Well, how do you remove your name from it? Usually on a bank account, you just can't remove the other person's name. I don't think, you know, all these things, you know, you, I, I had to address all of that. What happened? You know, then you're going to have a supporting affidavit with it. Okay. That's attesting everything. And then this is your groundwork for any other, because now we got all the facts. Okay. We got to get down to the facts. Okay. We need a stipulation as to what those facts are before we move any further. What are the facts? Because I know what you're saying, but what is he going to say on his end? You know, when he Mm -hmm. fires back. Okay. What is he going to say? So we need some sort of uh, reach some sort of resolution. So either he's going to answer your correspondence or he's going to ignore it. And if he ignores it, you're going to put in there, you know, say to answer this letter will will be presumed that you adopt all the contents of the correspondence with, uh, contained within. And you indeed owe me this amount of money if you don't respond to me by X and X, Y date, blah, 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 blah. So all this has to be reduced to writing because we got to do some gathering of facts because a lot of people think just because they say something that's what makes it a fact now what makes it a fact is when both sides agree that it's a fact when both sides don't agree it's a fact then it is an issue it's a material issue of fact and we need a bench trial or jury trial some sort of fact finding by a fact trier to find out what the facts are you got to get to the facts before we get to the law and that's what the administrative process is all about establishing what the facts are You understand what I'm saying? Hope I'm not mm-hmm. confused. I establish what the facts are. What are the facts? You know, I know you say what the facts are, but now you got to him get him to agree to what the facts are, and you do that in writing. Give him an opportunity to respond. You know, make your allegations within your correspondence, and then give him an opportunity to respond to it. And if he doesn't respond to it within a certain amount of time, you send him a notice of default and an opportunity to cure, and give him another additional time to respond. He don't respond within that time, then you have a notary draw up a certificate. That certificate is prima facie evidence that there are no facts in dispute. That's why when even in a criminal case, you do the administrative process first, even before you do a letter of rogatory to your attorney, because attached to that letter of rogatory are going to be your exhibits demonstrating to that attorney that he that there isn't any argument and he doesn't need to foster an argument as well. He needs to go to his people, talk to them and let them know that, hey, we don't have any facts at issue. We need to get to the law of this matter now and the true nature of it as well. But all this needs to be done in writing because all we're concerned with is the record, okay, and the Mm -hmm. rules of engagement. The rules of engagement, when someone has a duty to respond to you and they don't respond, and their silence constitutes acquiescence. So you need to approach it, lay your groundwork first before you start, you know, going at your ex-husband. And establish see and with with it with the mindset of trying to resolve it, not to be contentious. You know, not to be contentious. 
okay? And then he said, we're trying to make something that's amicable to all parties involved, you know? So, you know, that's the state of mind you approach it with. And then, you know, and then if you can't resolve it, then, then you take the next step. And then you have your you have your evidence right there before you that you tried to resolve it. You acted in good faith and you have clean hands. Okay. Does that make so sense? The next, it does. Um, so the DA, you know, like the the the, venues, you know, like the, the county or the state decided to push charges for the abuse. So um, I'm not supposed to contact him. He's not supposed to contact me. Oh, yeah, that's supposed to contact each other. No. Um, so the DA, when she called, she said that if I wanted to get any type of financial remedy, I needed to go through them. So that's why I was like, should I go through them? Or Wait a minute, hold on. Your, 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 phone is, your phone is muffled. Can you can you put your oh, mouth on sorry. the phone? Up? All right. Sure. All right, let's say it again. So the the, the state press charges. Um, against who? Against my ex. Right. And... Um, so I have a, a no contact, and um, so then I can't contact him, and he's not supposed to contact me. So he took. So, so in the, response to that, he cut off your money and everything. Yes, yes, he did. Sounds smart to me. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, you gonna put, uh, you know, if you gonna put a. If you if you're gonna put if you're gonna put a TPO on me, let me tell you what I tell men about women who put TPOs on them. When a woman puts what, a TPO what's that, on you, that you just said? like a well temporary restraining order or temporary oh, protective yeah, order, order, something like that. Yeah, protective. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, that's what you put on them, right? Yeah, he's dangerous. <laughs> okay, all right, okay, all right. That's cool. That's cool. No problem. But this is what I tell men, and I want all men to listen very closely because I get this. Well, hopefully this he's not listening. One, one, this is one of the biggest things because 85% of men who are in county jail are there for some sort of domestic issue. I don't know if people know that or not. That was the number one thing I dealt with as a jailhouse lawyer, okay, was TPO violations, protective order violations. It's going to give, it's aggravated stalking. You're going to get five years in jail. So I'm going to tell, I've had guys who the girl put, they got kids and she put a protective order on them and the nigga went by the house and put a birthday card on the car, five years in jail. I had another guy, he was driving down the street. They They had mutual friends and he was just headed over to the friend's house and she was there before him and he didn't even stop. He drove by the house and then went down the street and turned around and drove back by and waved five years. Okay. I, and I didn't believe it, but all of it was in the paperwork drawn up just like what I'm saying right now. (laughs) So I'm saying that to say when a woman puts a TPO on you, she's trying to send your ass to prison and it is over. Let me say this. Um, I okay. do have that on him, and he has contacted me. He has come to the house. He's even drawn a gun on me, and I did not oh, call him because I don't want to see him go. I want him to continue the business so we can get money. So I didn't even call the police on him. I just pulled my gun out. I was like, nigga, we're going to have a, a shootout today. 
Hey, 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 listen. I'm not saying that he's not violent. Listen, I done had guys, I done had guys came come to me and they say, Yeah, man, my girl tripping and everything. She tripping. Um, I don't know what's wrong with her, man. Can you help me out? And he go right over to the phone and call her from the jail, finna get another charge, and start, yeah, bitch, why don't you let I'm like, damn, man, I see why she put a goddamn TPO on you. So I, right. I listen, I, it's Dudes out there that 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 deserve to get it. I'm not. I am not disputing that at all. I don't know what okay. happened in y'all's situation. I'm not being prejudgmental, right. anything like that. I think you have it. It's your fault. But go ahead. No, I'm, I'm telling kidding. men that don't play with it because they're gonna lock your ass up, and they're gonna lock your ass up for a little bit of nothing. And it's five years. It's a felony, and it's aggravated stalking. That's all I'm telling men. I, now, trust mm-hmm. me, fifty percent of men. Never listen to me. And I get the call from jail later on, okay? So, you know, they don't listen anyway. They ain't going to listen, especially if there's some kids involved or something like that. They ain't listening to me no way. They just gonna spend, and they're young, you know, they're young, like 20, between 20, 25, 26, 27. Just get out and like, they ain't going to listen to me no way. But I'm just putting it out there. That's all I was doing. It was, it was a caveat. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have to do my men a favor in some kind of way. And let them know, I ain't playing with you about them TPOs. If you fuck with it, your ass is going to be in jail. <laughs> That's all. Okay. Now, back to you. As far as what he is, what, what, what you're doing, y'all can't talk to each other and all this kind of stuff right now, man. Boy, you, right. making things real, you make things real difficult. And you want to form something. You probably are going to have to probably do some sort of action you know, through the courts then, you know, some sort of private form of action where you can, like, pull him into a um, a deposition or something to that effect. Uh, you know, getting a, you probably going to have to get an attorney or something to do it because y'all didn't cut each other, cut communication off with each other. With, you know, you didn't cut communication off with them. You know, you, you should be trying to resolve this without the intervention of the courts first. Um, I understand you need protection from a person, but if you can't do that, you know, you got to use the court system, I guess, you know, and get get some attorneys involved, something like that. Unless you want to try to put a lien on them or something like that, you can. But there's this no contact well, thing. He already has a lien on them because of the company. We have a trucking company. And so with the uh, the company that does the finance, and they put a lien on him and a lien on the company. Like, I, I, was, I did the 11 search. I was like, what the heck? I didn't know they do this. Yeah. If he took out a loan or took some equipment or something like that, yeah, mm-hmm. they're going to file the SEC one on him. You know, so, I mean, you know, you want, and you, and you want to do the same thing, basically. <laughs> basically, yeah, that's what you're I, like, I, I, I started that company. I messed up that it's because of him making whatever decision he decided he needed to do that I don't have the finances that I was accustomed to. Well, let me. I mean, you know, this is one thing I never could understand. Do y'all have children? If you don't mind me asking, or something. Do no, something we don't. Um, no and I had my own business when he met me. I did marketing and advertising. Oh, um, and okay. he asked me to stop to take care of him, to run the household, and to start right. the business. Like literally, right. you know, like. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, well, you know, I was guess what I was gonna ask him like, you know, why, you know, why we gotta pay women after we divorce them? We gotta start keep taking care of them. I don't understand that. <laughs> I don't understand that, you know. <laughs> but 
I understand you were making your own money. I, listen, one thing I do understand is women play an intricate part in a man's success. Behind every successful man, there is a woman. You know, like with my ex-wife, I had no problem giving her things or anything like that. You know, because I do feel like she played a significant part in my rise and my success and everything, even if she was just at home taking care of the kids. Coming, staying home taking care of the kids, I got a lot of respect for that. Cause that ain't no damn joke right there. That's that's some serious mind numbing, mind bending type stuff to be engaged in on a day to day basis. You know what I'm saying? So they they deserve their respect. And if you're just supportive of your man, I don't know all the different things that you do. So I think you got some entitlement rights to some things. Okay. Um, I don't know y'all's uh, uh, the particulars behind the formation of your corporation that he has. It sounds like you're kind of mad that you quit what you were doing to support him. But I, you know, it's, it being married, there's some sort of community property. I do know that maybe you are entitled to all of the proceeds that came into the family after you were married. I don't know about before, but, you know, you're probably going to get a need to get a family uh, lawyer on that right there, man. I'm going to be honest with you. That's kind of like out of my scope of expertise right there. All I know is I can tell you how to establish the facts. I probably can tell you how to put a lien on them and things like that. But as far as that right there, y'all married. I mean, you know, that's going to be a, that's, that sounds like some divorce settlement issues. And there's no prior contract, no prenuptial agreement in place that's going to establish, you know, who's going to receive what, which is what everybody should have. If you want to keep it private well, and you want to keep it up there. So, yeah, we did do a, um, our own private uh, prenup and signed it. And I agreed that um, he agreed that he wouldn't take anything from my existing business. And I did agree that if we did divorce, that um, I would not get any proceeds from his business. But I felt like he violated that contract when he put his hands on me. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How you, you, you signed a contract. So you saying because he put his hands on you. Yeah, because everything was going fine and the company was growing. All of a sudden he just... Okay, so so when he put his hands on you, you think that made the contract void and null, right? Yeah, I really do. I feel like that. I really do. And I just I, want I him to pay for another home because I ended up selling my. Now this dude was very violent. This isn't like someone that just makes a mistake. We get him man, online. I'd like to talk to him. Can we? Call I him wish. Home? I wish we could. Uh, you know, I, I have I, no idea know, where I, he is. I, We're I, having I, trouble I, serving I, the papers. Sometimes I would just like to hear. The other mm-hmm. side of the story, you know, right. just sometimes right. I just want to hear the other side because, you know, it's like he ain't here to defend himself. So he's this bad yeah. person. He's whooping your ass. He's doing all this kind of stuff. And, you know, what is his? What was you doing to him? Was you like verbally abusing him? You know, like you came yeah. on. You came, you came on the air to me, insecure motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? I listened to you use this nigga. You know, you start. Yeah, like he was killed. Like he was very possessive. He's like, you can't listen to that man. He's always cussing and this and this. I mean, like you, you have those narcissistic men out there that are very insecure, yeah. and that's what he was yeah. because he understood this movement too. And I thought we were on the same page, but then once we got married, that shit just turned around. It was like, you can't do this. You can't go outside without asking me. You can't do I was like, what in the world did I get into? <laughs> well, you know, I understand that. You know, sometimes you have to, um, 
Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's like, um, you know, some men do do that, uh, you know, try to, like, put some handcuffs on a woman and things like that. When it's, it is the best policy, man, just let them. You ain't going to stop nobody grown from cheating or nothing like that. If they're going to do what they're going to do, just accept in the fact that they're going to do whatever they're going to do. And if they do it, you know, hey, they have, you know, they, they just open the door for you to, you know, Send them on their way or whatever it is that you're going to do. And, you know, you just got to be like like that because trying to put your hands on them and things like that, that's not going to end very well. And it's really just not necessary either. But, you know, I understand what you're saying, but I still need to hear the other side of the story, too, because it's like I'm sure you are not totally 100 percent innocent in this whole thing. There are usually two sides to a story and then we have the truth. Right. Well, I do my best to try to tell both sides. That's why I told I'm you about the agreement. Lying, but I'm just saying your, perception, your perception of events may be different from his. Everybody got their own perception of how things occurred. It's not saying that you lied or anything, but it's like the way that you perceive something happening, that right there means there's a breakdown in communication. Right? When communicating, yeah, when was. two people are communicating you know, effectively and everything, they're perceiving things differently. There needs to be some sort of effective communication between both parties and everything to bring harmony to the situation. You know, we should always be trying to seek harmony and seek some sort of uh, reconciliation and forgiveness with other individuals, not go to war constantly. I'm not here. I'm not a, the secure party process is not a process for war. It's not a war process. Mm -hmm. It's a a process for acceptance and for settlement and closure where we're trying to reach some sort of, uh, you know, resolution to a problem or to an issue that is commercial in nature. But, you know, as far as, you know, with your husband and everything, you know, I hate to see, you know, I get calls like this all the time where people are lamb blasting the other individual. And, you know, when you sit in my position, as long as you've had, and you're, and men do it too. It is ain't women. Men call me just, it's about 50, 50, about 50% of men call me. I need to get the kids from my crazy ass. She don't go to work. She'll never go to work. She abuses the kids. She don't give a damn about them damn kids. She got some nigga over there she up laying up with, blah, blah, Got that, you know, then always on the other end, the women, they come through the door say the man is abusive, which I know there are men who are abusive, and I know there are women who don't take care of their responsibilities. But you hear some of these same stories so much, and the judges hear it a lot, too, that a lot of these defenses that y'all take into the courts don't work the way they used to work because the judge hears it all the time. You first day you come in the door, you know, I, I need to get the kids because he's abusive. Well, that right there, if defense has been used like 2,354 times in the last month. Okay, he's heard that. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, you got to come with something else. And that's why I was talking about the administrative process. Um, if you put a TPO on him, uh, and I guess, and you do an administrative process against him, I guess you're giving him permission to respond back to you. If I think correctly, if you contact him first or something like that, or if you want to monitor, if you want to uh, alter the terms of the TPO or something to that effect, you know, you need to be creative, but I would try to, in the end, I would try to reach a resolution. I know you think you're entitled to be taken care of. I'm sure your husband feels quite differently. I'm sure he feels quite differently. I feel, I'm sure he feels you know, like, I, I just want another home. Feet. That's it. I just, I just uh, want another house. That's it. So, so you want him to buy your house? Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> I had For what to move. He was like he wouldn't. Wait, no, wait, okay, on. the house was you mine. When we got married, it was my house. Agreement. 
You signed a prenuptial agreement saying you will not take any of his stuff from his company. So you got a contract. Uh You got a contract. And you think the contract is void. And also in the contract, we both said that we will be faithful to each other. See, we have a common law marriage. And so I had to get a common law divorce. And so we said that we would be faithful to each other. And, and and we would love each other to death do us part and be, be married to I mean, we just put all this stuff in there. Now, I didn't put anything about domestic violence. I never thought that would even happen. But I think it can be assumed from the words that are spoken in this contract that, hey, we're not going to put you need to have, what you need to do, but I'm going to tell you the first thing you need to do is you need to take it to court, get a declaratory judgment. Just go on into court, file for a declaratory judgment, take it to a judge, have him read the contract, and see if you can get a ruling that will support what you just said. Now, if you can do that, you know, you got a real easy road ahead of you to get what you want. But that's what I would do. I would take it and go get a declaratory judgment on the contract and have the judge read it and make a determination of whether or not, you know, it can be construed that you have some entitlement to something due to some sort of conduct on his, on his part. So I, that's what I would do. That's what I would do. Okay. You know, right now it seems to me like you kind of like loosely construing some stuff and maybe kind of like, I haven't read the contract, obviously, but just listening to you talk, you might be reaching a little bit. But then again, it may be something there. So you have to, the only way you can decide is to declaratory judgment. Get the judge to read the okay. contract. Declaratory judgments are for us to read the, the, the intent under the agreement of the contract. He's going to interpret it for you. And they're going to put it down. They're going to lay it down in stone. Anything that's ambivalent, that's not quite clear, or something like that, they're going to clarify all that for you. May work for you, may work against you. But it's something you have to gamble if you're trying to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. Okay. So. Hopefully that helps. All right. Oh, appreciate it. Oh, and also, um, for some reason, I got kicked off of the um, of the. I was on the what the monthly program. I have some other ones that's on Dropbox that I purchased some years ago, but then I started the monthly program, and um, oh, you got, I don't know. I just got website? kicked off of it. Yeah, like it, it. I got like an email saying that um. I was no longer part of the membership. I don't know. I, I don't recall exactly where it's going. Something from PayPal. How long ago was Sir? it? How long ago was um, it? A couple. It was a couple months ago. Maybe about four months ago. So maybe a What's few months ago. What's your user ID? What's your user ID? It's, what was um, your user? Ooh, or your first know. name? What's, like, first name? What's your first name? I go by YC, the letter Y, the letter C, but my first name is Yolanda, Y-O-L-A-N-D-A. I had spoken with you a couple years ago about building a website, but then once I got with my husband, he didn't want me to do anything, so I left him off. <laughs> well, you do you remember that? Uh, I think so. I think I remember something like that. Um, Yolanda. Okay, let's see. I don't see you in here. You don't remember? You don't remember your your uh, user your username? So it's going to be up under PayPal, right? Well, you can give me your PayPal email address. You know, just give me the first uh, first part, the first five uh, letters of your PayPal email address. It's my name. Okay, yeah. Y-O-L-O-N-D-A. Y-O-L-A-N-D-A. 
land up. Yeah, okay. All right. Now, I don't see you in here. All right, I'll tell you what, we got to get that off, off, off call, and, and I have to look it up. I I can't do it online. I'll uh, I'll give you I got your number right here. This is the eight three two area code right right now, right? Yeah. And uh let's see. Uh, I got you right here. Let me uh we had to do a little bit more deep deep investigation to find out what happened. Okay, cool. But usually uh people whose, you know, accounts have been in some sort of suspension for a long time. That's you know, that sounds like you know, something like that. That's usually the reason why something like that would happen. Because all this, I had somebody say, well, you know, he's billing me. And, uh, you know, like, let me speak on that real quick. I guys say, well, you know, you're charging me. Uh, I haven't charged anything. When you when you come on SBC University, you what you do is you are permitting PayPal or your credit card company to draft you monthly. Okay? That don't have nothing to do with me. I don't have no power over that. I'm not doing it, okay? There is a video in the back office that has shown, and also in frequently asked questions, that shows you how to counsel your account. We have a button in the back office. You can all you have to do is push it, it counsel your account, or you can put your account on hold where it won't bill you, okay? You don't have to counsel the account. You just put it on hold, and it'll stop drafting you, okay? You could you do all you have 100% control of that. So please stop saying what I did that I told him to stop billing my account. It's like, that's for you to do. You can go in the back of your PayPal account and go into your uh, uh, payment section, and right back there, you can do it from your PayPal account. You can also do it from your Stripe account, okay? You have control over all of that. It's not on me. It's on you. And I went to great extremes to make sure that you understood that by even putting up a video showing you how to do it. Okay, so please stop, you know, with that trying to say I'm a piece of shit because I kept billing you for something or something like that. It's like man, I, mean, I spent hours making sure you understood everything I'm saying right now. Okay, and I already put it up there. So don't don't do that. I, yeah, yeah, it offends me, especially when you go back to the website and you see all the shit I'm talking about. That's what it, that's what ends up happening. People go back to the website next thing you know, I'll see. They cancel the account because they're like, yeah, it is on there. I guess he did was telling the truth. <laughs> but uh, I got uh, I got your phone number. I'll call you after this is over with, okay? Oh, thanks. I got you, Yonder. All right. Peace to the God. All right. Let's go back to the phone lines real quick. Uh, where are we at now? Let's go to 706 3750. 706, there you go. Yes, peace to the guys. Can you hear me? Loud and clear. What's happening? Okay. Uh, first, thank you for all that you do. I have a four part question. I'm being sued for breach of contract, and I'm doing a counter suit. I do have an attorney. I'm, being counter- I'm doing a counter suit for fraud. Um, my first question is. Is the fact that the opposition has a lease pendants on my title or my property interfering with my due process because now I can't get a bond or be able to get money to pay my attorney? The second part is, can I now remove um, that lease pendants and use the, if I can remove the lease pendants, can I use that that property to get an indemnity bond for the case so that I will stay in in um, as a creditor? And the is, third is part the property is, free and clear? Is the property free and the pro- clear? 
Yeah, the property is free and clear. I inherited the property from my parents. Yeah, you can use it probably for some sort of indemnification bond as collateral supporting the bond. And what amounts, I don't see why not, you know, collateral supporting it. Yeah. And as far as, okay, now go back again and start over. You said that you got, tell, explain you going so fast. You said you got an attorney. You said you're doing a counterclaim and yeah. somebody's, and, and somebody has your property leaned up. There's a less pendants on the property or something to that effect. Yes, from the person who was trying to purchase the property from me. Um, he he defaulted in the contract because he missed the um, the uh, escrow date. It closed. And then once I started to investigate, I found out some other fraudulent things that he did. He He's not. There's several things that he did fraudulent. Um, he misrepresented himself. Um, he gave a... Um, in his uh, buying papers, he says that um, in his advertising, he says that they, they don't subtract if there's any repairs to be done on the property, that they don't subtract the amount of the repairs from the sale of the property, which that was the first thing that he did. He misrepresented himself as a, um, uh, a real yeah, estate agent. What, what kind of real estate investor wouldn't do that? I mean, you know, it's like I'm, I'm subtracting the amount of repairs from the cost of the property. I mean, that seems like you know, pretty standard, you know, that just seems like pretty standard procedure to me. You know, it's like, oh, you know, why, why wouldn't you, if it's going to cost me to fix this property, that's the whole purpose of comp. And then, you know, an after repair value, establishing what the after repair value is uh, 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 based off the comps in the surrounding area, and then making a determination of how much, how many repairs are going to be needed for this particular property and then subtracting that plus any potential profit that you profit that you can negotiate into the acquisition of the home. Uh, you know, so that's standard formula, you know, if you're going to rehab or flip something or do something like that, I don't understand why he would, you know, not put that in a contract or whatever, you know, why he would put something like that in the contract. But I don't know. I don't know the particulars of everything, but it just sounds kind of weird to me. Um, but you're saying that he misrepresented things. Well, this should be a pretty cut and dry. With fraud, you have to prove intent, okay? Because now you're you're charging him with fraud, so you're gonna have to prove intent that he intended to defraud you, which is very difficult to do. Um, you, I would stick with breach of contract that he did not fulfill uh, all the uh, intent of the contract on his face of what y'all were supposed to be engaged in, and bring your evidence to substantiate that. And I don't see why it would be much of a problem that the contract you. Okay, take them in okay. there and, um, you know, and present your evidence. Do you have the evidence to substantiate everything you're saying, that he misrepresented himself, that he defaulted, or in some kind of way there was a breach of contract? I mean, that yes. should be pretty self-explanatory. You know, where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? Yes. I know what you're saying, what he said. There are such things as oral contracts, too, but they're not as easy as to prove as express contracts. Things are written down on paper. But right. Right, you know. Well, in his in his well, own right. advertisement. Well, uh-huh. in his in his yes, in his own advertisement, uh, it was one of those. I, I was did the contract with one of those places that buy. It says they're all over California. We buy ugly houses, and in his right. own advertisement, he states the fact that um, they do not take out repair costs from the sales of the house. And then it was my mistake. I allowed him to research the. Um, the market value of the of the home, and what he did was instead of the 
open market value for the home, he went off of the tax assessment. And then that's what I went off of, the tax assessment. So when I got the attorney, the attorney said, well, he cheated you off the back because he didn't go to the market value of the home. He went to the tax assessment value of the home, which is a lot less. It is. And then, (laughs) and then he, and then against his own advertisement, he automatically um, fudged the repair cost of the home. And then once my attorney went in and he says, well, this is what the actual repair cost could be. It's almost twice as high as what he quoted you. And he actually wrote it down in his own handwriting. So my attorney says, well, well, what's the issue? I mean, he's buying a house from you, right? Yes. Okay. Well, he made an offer and did you accept the offer? I accepted the offer based on his misrepresentation. And I, and that was, that was my fault. I should have did more due diligence to find out the true market value, but I went off of my first time. Basically, in other words, he obtained your property for a little bit of nothing, right? For yes. less than what you got for it. All right. Yes. I see what you're saying. Hey, man, that's part of the game. I'm going to be honest with you. You know, that's I why, you know, a real, estate, you know a, a real estate agent is required to tell you the, the true value of your home. Private investors don't have that on them. They ain't got to tell you uh, uh, how much your property mm-hmm. is really worth. You know what I'm saying? Right, but it's he like, misrepresented himself as a real estate agent. Oh, yeah, he misrepresented himself right. as a real estate agent. Okay, well, if he, if he, you know, if he, uh, if he, okay, well, if he, you know, if he, if you can prove that, okay, you okay. may have some grounds for something, you know, uh, if you can prove that, all right, so that would be, I, I could see something that could be brought up that he pretended like he was a real estate agent, therefore, you know, you felt like he had a fiduciary duty to tell you the true market value of the home, and then later on you yeah. found not a real estate agent and therefore did not have such a duty, and therefore defrauded you out of the true value of your property. Okay, I can see that. And then, I, but And then he also, it was a hard sale. He didn't actually have the money. That's why escrow closed, and he did. He was trying to sell the house before he had the money to buy the house. So he yeah, was trying, trying to, to buy the it. house. He's yeah, he was trying it. to flip it with no money, right. And that's what really well, turned yeah, me on to the I fact that something wasn't right. If you negotiated a low price, on a property that's um, that's way under market value, yeah, one of the quick ways to get money is to flip it. I mean, I don't see where I'm not seeing where he did anything illegal. You know, I mean, hey, I you can you can negotiate with a person who's ignorant about market values. You know, ignorance of the law is no excuse or ignorant. You know, if you don't right. know what you're doing, that's nobody's fault but your own. But I see what you're right. saying. You misrepresented everything. I know you feel like, okay, this man got away with my house at, you know, at, at a ridiculously low price. But that happens because there are people out there that's not interested in knowing about property. People do it all the time. You know, my friend, man, I got this friend, man. He just got a $900,000 property at like a tax sale for like, this nigga got the shit for like $10,000. And a, okay. it's an old lady. It's an old lady lives on the property. She's real old. She's about to die. Now, he's l- allowing her to stay on the property. But he could go in there and kick her ass off the property. He really could do that. But he's not doing okay. that. He's letting her keep her house. Because there's some acres of land and everything. You know, he's letting her stay right. on, on the property. But, you know, it's like that it happens every day in real estate. You know, things like that happen. 
So I right, can't really right. not it. You got it's your duty to do your due diligence before you enter into a contractual agreement and know what you're doing and know the uh, true market value. You obtain comparables of all the houses in your area that have sold within a certain period of time. I find out what the true market value of your house is. Then look at the repair costs. You should know that how much it costs to put in HVAC, how much it costs to redo a bathroom, how much it right. costs to bring that up to, to snuff. All that kind of stuff, you know, is, is uh, a formula that's put into your um, uh, into your offer, uh, into his offer that he's having. Because he's, what he's trying to do is he's trying to get it at a low enough price where he can make a profit on a flip as well as li- allow enough profit margin for any rehabbers who are going to come in and buy the property from him. And then they're going to sell it. So there needs, to be enough, there needs to be enough spread there to accommodate all the parties that are going to be involved in it. And that is finding a motivated seller, somebody who doesn't want a property or something to that effect, and finding that low price, you know, it's like and getting at a low price. I right. mean, he did what, you know, I don't know how he negotiated with you and the things he told you, but, you know, everything that he did is pretty standard procedure, you know. Right. And you're not going to have to prove fraud, which is difficult to do. I would choose for breach of contract. And your attorney probably right. going to tell you the same thing. Right. Okay. Now, is is how can I? To me, it seems um, that now this happened in California. I'm in Georgia on an emergency family situation, so I don't have my paperwork with me. But how it seemed to me that the lease pendants would be interfering with my ability to use the property for an indemnity bond in the court case. Wait a minute. Hold on. I thought you said you sold the property. No, 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 no. It's, 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 it, we're going through the court process now. He hasn't, I hadn't signed anything other than the, than the uh, agreement to sell. I hadn't signed over the deed or any of that. No money has exchanged hands or oh, any of that. Okay. So Once the escrow didn't close, I, huh? Go ahead. He put a last sentence on. Yeah, last sentence could interfere. All last sentence is is notice that there's litigation pending. Right, so not, I understand. There's litigation on the property, and if you, you know, uh, you can proceed. It's a caveat. If you want to proceed, proceed at your own risk because you don't know what's going to happen. It's in, it's in litigation. Okay. Okay. So now my next question would be, um, two other questions would be, how can I remove that lease pendant so I can use the property for an indemnity bond if it goes to court? And the next question would be, is it since, is, since it's in the process of going to court, um, can I do the administrative process? Uh, as, uh, you can do an administrative process against him, yeah, regardless of that last pendants, because you're trying to reach, you're trying to establish what the facts of the matter are, right? Because right, anybody correct. can file action on anything, so you know okay. you can do that. Last pendants don't, don't have any any bearing upon that. Um, last pendants don't really have any bearing upon anything. All it is is a notice to everybody, a warning, you know, letting everybody know, you know, it's like it, this property is in litigation. You know, you can get right. it removed. I don't know if you get it removed. But how are you going to get it removed? Because isn't it really in litigation? Um, we're in that process. We're in the first stages. I'm still, they're still trying to get deposition from me. I've done one deposition. Now they want another one. Um, my attorney right. advised me. And after I, after I listened to you, I said, okay, well, I'm not signing anything else or answering any more questions. I've already answered all your questions. And basically the case is not really about um, my integrity or my, my honesty, it's more about his fraudulent action. Because what I did was once I found out the guy was, was not 
straightforward and honest. I've, and, and the escrow had passed three days before the uh, three days after the escrow had closed, and he hadn't finalized the sale or anything or moved forward. And I started finding out other the other fraudulent things that well, I felt as fraudulent things that he was doing. I sent a letter to him, and I sent a letter to the escrow people saying that I didn't want to sell the home anymore. <laughs> and so that's when he that's when he started this the lawsuit process. So they're still trying to get a second deposition from me. Um, so it, it hasn't even went yeah, to court. Right, against yourself. Right, that's, so that's that where is. I'm at now. <laughs> right, and it's nothing more. I've been straight honest. There's uh, nothing more. My I, my my answers wouldn't change to any of the questions. So I guess one of my questions would be to you: Would it be in my best interest to do a second deposition, or without a court order, no, or should I just? It ain't never in your best interest to keep talking. You know, you talk your way okay. right out of something. You know. If the less you speak, the better. <laughs> I be honest okay. with you. I, I'll never, okay. I, I ain't never advantage talk a lot unless you use okay. the bell so, on the air. <laughs> right. So, so should, so should I deny doing the, so should I deny doing the second deposition I and let them do force me? I wouldn't do it. If I, if I, if I didn't have to do another one, I wouldn't. Okay. Because would. my attorney, you know, I said to my attorney, because they're trying to get me to. Rat on myself. So, so that's what I said to my attorney yeah, that I'm not doing. It. He said, "Well, my attorney's trying to get me. He he's telling me, well, it'd be in your best interest because in a traditional court, a traditional judge would look at you not doing a second deposition as is if you're trying to hide something." Okay. Well, you know what do you mean? I'm trying to hide something because first of all, he's supposed to be an unbiased arbiter in a dispute between two opposing parties, and I have a fifth minute right of. I have a right to remain silent, goddammit. That's the Constitution. Why have me exercising right. a right falls into suspicion? That's what I understand. Okay. I had some people tell me that about, well, you know, I, I want to go private. And they said, well, you know, what are you trying to hide? Oh, fuck, I'm not trying to hide nothing being private. It's my goddamn business. Right. I have a right to privacy. Right. <laughs> so I'm right. Like, you know, I got to okay. fall into suspicion because I want to be private. Oh, motherfucker, what are you talking about? I got a right to privacy. The more somebody okay. knows about you, the more they can get at you. Right, right. And that was my that was my position with my attorney. You know, that's how I came at him with it. I was like, well, wait a minute, man. I've already answered those same questions. All they're going to do is rephrase the same questions over again at, at me, and it's not about. And he said, well, that's, he said, well, that's what your countersuit is about. Your countersuit is about, in the countersuit papers, it's not about my honesty. It's about his fraudulent actions or his misleading actions in the purchase of, uh, in trying to purchase the home. So and he actually, this, the, the purchaser actually told my wife, like, I'm in Georgia with a family issue, and he actually went to the house and told my wife, he said, I can't get your husband's property, but what I can do is make him pay um, for, for the breach of contract, but I can't actually, they won't make him sell his house, but I can get some money out of him. That's what he actually told my wife. So, you know, I'm in this position okay. now that I know I could do the administrative process. I'm going to now do I since I have an attorney, do I have to go through my attorney for the administrative process or can I just do the administrative process? through? No, the you do it yourself. You need to go. I mean, if you got representation, though, your attorney has to file your paperwork. Right? You, you can't file anything in court, you know, without your attorney. Your attorney is going to have to be the one to file everything. You can have the administrative process conducted with just you and your notary can do all of that. But any filings, if you have representation, that needs to go through your attorney. Okay. 
Okay, so I could do the administrative process fire. through my notary. I, I don't right. want to do that because I'm not in California right now. If I, once I get back to California, I trust in the the administrative process and the uh, secure party process more so than I trust the attorney. But I'm not in California, so I don't want to drop him and then they proceed forward with the case and I'm not there to fight for myself. Right. So right, I'm just basically right. holding on um, to the attorney until I can get back to California, and then I want to I mean, go through. Yeah, I should, you should just be able to demonstrate that he he does those fraudulent misrepresentation. And he misrepresented himself as a a damn uh, uh, real estate agent. That should be the end of the matter if you can prove that. If you can prove it, you know. I don't know if you can prove it, but if you can prove that, you know, hell, you know, you you said he did fraud. He misrepresented himself. Stick to that, and you might not even have to go through all this other bullshit, you know. So that's okay. what I would look at first. And um, okay. then go from there, you know. Okay, so I'm, I'll go through that administrative process with him. Once he either re, he either responds to the administrative process or he doesn't, and I get the no response return from the notary public, then I have to give it to my attorney to file with the courts. Is that correct? A certificate of non-response, you know, demonstrating that you know y'all you've been corresponding with him in writing, attempting to resolve the issues and uh, as the facts related to the case, and he stipulated that there wasn't any material argument as it relates uh, to these points that you brought up in your correspondence and introduced that into evidence. You know, kind of sort of like what they're doing with the deposition; they're getting you to try to admit yeah. to something without having to do anything on their own end. Well, that's the same thing right. you're doing to him. You'd admit to some shit by sending you a correspondence in the mail and having you answer some questions and write, get back with me. All right. Okay. Same thing. You know, it's all of it is trying to really accomplish the same thing, just different methodologies, right. but the principles different are the same. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then I heard you mention to the lady prior that the UC1, the UCC1 could be used as a lien against him to hinder his ability to pay for his attorney also. Is that true? Well, it's a notice of I... lien. You have to have a contract, and the establishment of that contract is what leads to the filing of the UCC-1. UCC-1 is just a notice. It's not an okay. actual lien. Understood. For there to be a lien, there has to be some sort of contract in existence okay. and, you know, that, that is based off of. Off of. You know, so okay. you know, that's not you – know, that, that, just because you file a UCC-1 in, it, in and of itself doesn't constitute a lien. It's just a notice. That there's something, right. you know, that needs to be, you know, looked at. But anyway, okay, brother. Let me let you go. Okay, thank I you. gotta get off. Okay, thank you, Yusuf, for everything you're doing for me. Um, and you'll hear from me later. My name is John Brown. You'll hear from me. Thank you, brother. John Brown. Okay, Mr. Brown. Thank you for calling in. Thank All right, you. y'all. All right, y'all. That's it for me today. I gotta get off. I got I got some business I gotta take care of here at the house. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today and listening. Hopefully y'all were able to get something from this. I'm always getting something from all of y'all, all my listeners and everything. Uh, be looking for some more videos at the YouTube. Uh, remember to check out SBC University. Enroll in a class over there and take some classes. we got some great additional classes being added to SBC University. Or come to our Facebook group, my Instagram also. I got my Instagram. I'm trying to blow up my Instagram. I have my Instagram uh, link under the videos also under these, uh, you know, in the description of this. But you can check me uh, out 
at yusuf.l.19. I put that 19 seal on my name. Yusuf.l.19. That's my Instagram handle. All right? And check me out over there. Or go to YouTube. High Frequency Radio on YouTube. And check out the videos that we have over there. I want to thank everybody for being loyal listeners. I appreciate all you. I really, really do. I will be back on tomorrow at the same time again. You know, I'm trying to stay consistent now. I'm building back up my habit of getting back on the air every morning at, at a certain time, you know, and uh, turn on the mic and just get and just get to it. So I'll be back on again tomorrow. Same bad time, same bad channel. You've been listening to the hottest radio network on the planet. High frequency radio, y'all. Peace to the gods. I'm out. You're, 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 you're listening to Yusuf L on the baddest radio network on the planet. High frequency radio. High frequency. High, frequency. High, frequency. High frequency. Yeah. Yeah. Sync up. Sync up. Sync up. Already. Already. Yay. I get up with the frequencies each and every morning. Thanks, practice, gratitude, commence brainstorming. Live, awake, excited, new day, new me. TSA, courtesy of JRE and Scott Free. Too many folks shallow, scared to drown in the deep end. And I ain't pointing fingers, best believe I was one of them. The pain I was numbing in, self-inflicted punishment. The streets I was running in led me to consciousness. Yes, they can steal my flows, but can't block my shine, baby. You see my glow? Now I live in the light, radiating love. Sun, you're a star as below, so above. Am I too metaphysical? Are you over-analytical? So many situations get critical. I'm a warrior, survivor is an understatement. Started subterranean, now we in the cosmos on some milky wavy shit. Sun-kissed, melanin-rich, health is wealth, we live abundant. Connected with the oneness, I'm off my dumb shit. I bring to you substance more specific, life is synchronistic. All is energy, fact, over fiction when I rap. That high frequency, yeah, we on that. Sync with the most divine, catch contact. Physicality beyond that, high frequency, we on that. Mind over matter, thoughts not. Scattered stars co-creating spiral up No ladder to heaven or hell Can you leave a trail The high and low polarities The vibrations they all rare Day to day just hoping Going through the motion Staring at the doors Who could ever get this open Till I uncovered the secret To keeping it real I got in touch with my soul To fan my frequency feel We playing follow the leader The leader ain't going nowhere That's why I'm living my life With a sovereign mind all I want in this world is to spread love and greatness to you Using my music for we out of time So for the divine, I'm doing my due diligence Giving some peace to views that's too militant Doing it different, I got purpose and position Feel the vibration, transmission is the mission Need you to listen to these words, my dude I swear my third eye got a bird's eye view And do you wanna sync up? Cause I do Surfing this way, follow as we ride through All is energy, fact, over fiction when I rap That high frequency, yeah we on that Sync with the most divine, catch contact Physicality beyond that, high frequency we on that Mind over matter, thoughts not scattered Co-stars, co-creating, spiral up, no ladder to heaven or hell It's in you, leave a trail, the high and low polarities The vibrations, they all rare 
let it marinate Cause this is very great to every state The burden on my back, well I carry weight High frequency, high power, free spirit Talking to the man upstairs and yeah, he hear it Man, I'm riding the wave, inspired by the days When we sparked up, that was the light of the haze But now I'm synced up yeah, my drink's up, am I drinking again? Well, you know, yeah, the gig's up, freedom ain't free, believe them, they not me, the oppressor knows my melanin rich, and I'm scot-free, that means I got away, BS, not today, stop and say, we good, okay, no more drops today, this the high frequency, they gon' feel this, still with optimism, but still, I'm the realist, they gon' feel this, yeah, real quick, bring the chorus in. That's real shit. All this energy, fact, over fiction when I rap. That high frequency, yeah, we on that. Sync with the most divine, catch contact. Physicality beyond that, high frequency, we on that. Mind over matter, thoughts not scattered. Co-stars, co-creating, spiral up, no latitude. Heaven or hell, send you, leave a trail. The high and low polarities, the vibrations, they all Frequency Radio, yeah we on that. Peace, brother Paul Savage. You already know. You are locked in, tuned in live. High Frequency Radio. Sync up. Sync up. Sync up.